I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, it is time, at long last, for NXT TakeOver, our evolution. I want you all to understand, I would be giddy with excitement about this episode. Absolutely bouncing off the walls in joy and glee. If this were Bob and I standing outside a fucking coffee shop in the middle of the night, just talking about this with nobody around to hear us. <laughs> As it stands, we've made it here on this podcast unexpectedly. Yes. And not only that, we have the distinct honor of talking about this takeover with the one and only myth. Hi. Hi. God, thank you for doing this. I'm delighted to be here. I've been thinking about this for so long, and it was such a joy to rewatch it. As have we. Episode 82 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Sami Zayn slapped Adrian Neville in the face, and it was everything we ever wanted it to be. Oh, we'll talk about it again, Myth, I promise. It's too important. But if anything could top that, it's this episode right here. So, full disclosure, three years ago, or however long ago it was, I think three years is about right, when Bob texted me and was like, hey, I want to get into wrestling, what should I watch? The first thing I thought of was, oh, I should tell them about NXT TakeOver or Revolution and have them watch that. And I almost said that. I almost texted you that, Bob. But then I was like, wait a minute, you can't just watch our Revolution. <laughs> like, that's the end. It would be like saying, oh, you want to get into fantasy? You should read the last chapter of Return of the King. <laughs> like, it's insane. You can't fucking do it. You have to know... The story. And that is how this podcast came to be. And that is why we started where we did on May 22nd, 2013 with the debut of Sami Zayn. Because this is the story that I needed Bob to experience. And we had to go back all the way to get that. That's how this all happened. It's because of this show. But of course, we didn't go back all the way. Now, did we? For the story of Sami in NXT. Sure, I guess. For the story of Sami and Adrian Neville, and the NXT Championship and the Road to Redemption, absolutely. But NXT TakeOver Our Evolution does not end with that final stanza of Zayn and Neville and the Road to Redemption. It ends with Zayn, who has just won the NXT Championship, crumpled on the floor, wrecked in a shocking and yet utterly predictable, just <laughs> the most predictable thing you could possibly have imagined, moment of betrayal, by his best friend in the world, the newly debuted Kevin Owens. And that story dates back to 2002, 
And there's only one person I know who has gone back to the beginning of that story, piecing it together bit by bit and illustrating it with some of the most incredible pieces of writing on the subject of professional wrestling that I have ever read in my life. Their name is Myth. They are the author of the excellent blog, The Spectacle of Excess. I think they're pretty widely considered to be the foremost expert <laughs> on the highly specific subject of Sami Zayn and Kevin I was Owens. Say, I don't usually, I'm kind of like, oh, really? The world's foremost? Yeah, pretty yeah, much. I mean, probably, Actually, right? <laughs> you are the Zayn scholar. And they are here with us today, Myth. Yay. Officially, welcome to the next wrestling fan. It is a pleasure to be here. We kick things off usually when we have new guests with a sort of a conversation about how they got into wrestling and how they got into NXT in particular. I know a little bit of that story and it's very appropriate for this show. Can you please tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today as a wrestling fan? I actually watched wrestling for about seven years, starting in 2007, before I actually got into it a lot. Oh, wow. Okay. My husband was into it. And wasn't really into it. He found it a very useful thing to have on his background noise. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about that all the time. Yeah. So it ran in the background. I watched it now and then. I was like, Edge, Mickey James. Okay, I, I get it. And I realized people, when I saw people talking about it, they talked about having favorite wrestlers. And I always kind of felt like, huh, I don't get that. I don't understand why you would have a favorite wrestler it's all just kind of crazy fun (laughs) and then around 2014 a friend recommended that i watch nxt and we had picked up the network specifically to watch daniel bryan and yes mania yeah so we had the network and i was like uh okay i'll i'll start watching i'll go back and watch nxt from like September of 2014. I started watching and Sammy was there and my first reaction was, eh, you know, he's okay, I guess, whatever. And I watched more episodes and I thought, oh yeah, he's, he's cute. Yeah. <laughs> he is cute. He's kind of compelling, I guess. And I watched some more and I was like, okay, okay. Road to Redemption is pretty cool. And then around November, there was an episode, I don't know which one, where it looked like he might not show up. And about halfway through, I was like, is this episode not gonna have Sami Zayn in it? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Am I gonna have to sit through an episode without my favorite wrestler? (gasps) I have a favorite wrestler (laughs) and it's Sami Zayn. And I I did not realize it until that moment. And that to me felt very much like classic Sami Zayn. He sneaks up on you. He does, oh, he does. Definitely the episode right before, like two episodes ago for us, the episode right before the slap does not feature either him or Neville. So it might have been that one. It probably was that one. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was how I realized I had a favorite wrestler. And from then I was just absolutely hooked. So you realize you had a favorite wrestler. You're watching this comes right at the end of the storyline with Zayn and Neville. You watch our evolution and Kevin Owens comes out. You watched the show. Like, what did you think of him when he first appeared? Like, just when he first showed up and... That first match, because his first match with CJ Parker was yeah. the first time I'd seen him. I don't know if Bob's going to mention it, but when he... The first moment I see him, he's very baby face. You know, he's almost in tears. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I like this sweet panda man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, he comes out and he and Sammy hug and they hug and he bleeds all over Sammy and they're so happy. 
And then he comes back out at the end and they hug again and he helps Sammy down and the little logo appears at the bottom, right? Yeah. Yep. And I'd been yep. reading about how these two have some kind of long history. And I said to my husband, oh, well, we're fine then. There's the logo. And my yep. husband, who understands wrestling better than I do, said, wait, wait. And then Kevin Owens throws Sammy down, turns on him, betrays him. And I literally stand up in my living room and point at the TV screen and say, I am going to learn everything about these two people. <gasps> wow. At the time, I was like, oh, you know, I've got to find like five matches or something. <laughs> Which, wow. no, not at all. Not I so much. I realized they'd been wrestling with and against each other for a decade by then. So that so, set into motion my quest. That's so funny that your husband had a feeling. Because I remember being not to make this all about me but i remember being a fan at the time and you know knowing we'll get into this later but knowing sammy and kevin from ring of honor and everything i was so happy that they had brought owens in but at the same time it felt bittersweet to me because i knew sammy was gonna win the championship right like if he wasn't i was gonna be really mad about it so that'd be fun (laughs) but sammy's at the top owens just coming in and i figured i was really worried they might miss each other yeah they were out of sync because Sammy, like, presumably was going to be main roster bound soon, and Owens had just gotten there. There's no way that yeah, they're going to put him in a feud. He's going to start by wrestling Ty Dillinger yeah, and exactly. slowly make his way up. Exactly. And when the little, the signature, the logo came on, I was also like, oh, well, there it is. You know, like, that thing came. We're not getting anything else. They let Kevin go out and hug him, which is great. Maybe he didn't even ask permission. That would have been very in character. He just ran out and hugged him. You know, that would have been fine. And so when that happened, I was like, I was so happy. It was, I remember very few moments in my wrestling fandom that made me happier than that moment of brutal, violent betrayal. Because Because without your background, I had no sort of feeling of these two people aren't equal right now. And that's upsetting. I've had it on the main roster when they've gotten sort of unsynced at their levels. But I didn't know them well enough then to feel that sort of, but they're not equals. And then to be really happy when clearly they're going to be at the same level. So is Sammy still your favorite wrestler? Yes. Although, to be fair, Kevin actually kind of is now. Mm, mm, Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I always say Sammy is my favorite, but (laughs) I would never say Kevin has replaced him. In my heart. That makes sense. Kevin is so much more open about everything. I've watched Kevin talk. He did this thing called Kevin Steen Show, where he Mm -hmm. talked to wrestlers with these two and a half hour shows, and there were like 30 of them. So I've watched him talk for like 60 hours now. So you just really get to know him in a way that Sammy doesn't let you. He's just, he's a very private person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you just feel like you know Kevin, and he's just a sweet guy, so... So I found out about your existence through fandom circles. And then I found out that like within the fandom side of the internet, well, the fandom side of wrestling, that you are myth gifts as well. Ah, yeah. And so like all the fandom wrestling people were like, well, if it's a wrestling gift, myth did it. Like that's where they come from. (laughs) Cool. 
sometimes myth or total divas episode oh fair all right that also would like watches everything i don't know how they do it <laughs> that is extraordinary i'm in awe and i was wondering if you got into wrestling at this point where was wrestling fandom in terms of fan works of any kind, whether that's, you know, song fic, I don't know. I don't know if there's like, if they went through a weird song fic period or filk period or any other stuff, but where was it? And then what was it like in like the time that you got interested enough to go like, all right, I'm going to go start looking around and see what there is. It was wall to wall shield. It was all shield. It was all (laughs) either Ambrains or Ambrolins. 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 That's they um, actually Xavier Woods says Ambrains on the air. <gasps> on the main roster on television around now. Shit. It's not a good feeling. Yeah. No. Like, don't notice us. Yeah, no, I was in the Sherlock fandom and like being noticed is bad. When Athena, Ember Moon, comes in, she has a thing on Above Down Down where she talks about how she used to write evolution fanfic. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she and Xavier Woods get talking about it. That's That's incredible. incredible. Yes. I love the idea that there are wrestlers that used to write wrestling fanfic. That's everything. (laughs) Was it on FF? Was it on? Oh, Oh, she doesn't say where she posted it. But, but was wrestling fandom all on AO3 at the time? Or was it, it was like... It was on AO3, I think, okay. yeah. It had... 2014, it hadn't moved to Tumblr much. Okay. Hugo Award winner AO3. For the yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, we gotta say that every time. Okay, because I know some fandoms kind of built a presence prior to that. But NXT is weird in that, like, WWE, I'm sure, like, there's a bunch of fanfic about it. That's probably on like weird web rings that have been lost or geocities that are lost to time that have, you know, blown away into the ether. I will tell you when I was digging around, I live in Japan, so I was digging around and I found a doujinshi, which is a fan magazine of Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Holy shit. Oh, wow. I mean, that's such a natural pairing. That was the only one I could find. That is fucking remarkable it i am was. so happy it was and it was amazing Shawn michaels and triple h is like such an interesting wrestling story and i really wish that that one guy landis wasn't such a piece of shit such a jerk yeah 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 <laughs> see, that video is really good i really love wrestling isn't wrestling yeah, and me now too. i can't love it anymore so i know okay okay someone else needs to do something like it someday mm-hmm. so there's this story between kevin steen and sammy that spans you know, however many decades now. Technically not between Kevin and Sammy, but between Kevin and El Generico, who is not Sammy Zane. Is there (laughs) a lot of fanfic about that out there? Because I've never, because that's like weird pocket dimension stuff relative to the juggernaut that is like WWE. So I'm like, did it exist? Does it exist? Where is it? I don't think think there was anything much out there mm-hmm. at the time there is some now okay that's interesting is it all wwe canon or is there stuff that predates it well that's kind of what i'm wondering because like it feels to me like i don't know i'm trying to imagine like 
diehard Ring of Honor fans from the 2010s writing fanfic, and it's just like the image isn't really coming no, to me. No, it you doesn't. Know? It kind of causes an emotional disjunction. Doesn't it? <laughs> it's <Yeah>. not. <laughs> Yeah, I can definitely like feel more fanfic vibes coming from WWE because it's kind of the more mainstream, more colorful thing. So like, if you're into that world, then I'm not sure. I don't know. This is me completely speculating, but that's how it feels to me. Even knowing the tiny brush that I have with Ring of Honor now that it's Tony Khan's plaything as well. Mm. It's still got uh, some of the same feeling, though. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. You're, you're not, not those people. Yeah, Kevin and Generico were extremely unusual for Ring of Honor, though. That's true. They weren't muscular dudes with short hair wearing black trunks. Oh. I mean, they didn't fit. At the time, that was like 80% of Ring of Honor was muscular (laughs) dudes with short hair wearing trunks, you know? Yeah. And like when they were, it's, it's such an interesting part of their story, which again, we'll go into a little bit later. But, you know, when they were in Ring of Honor and they were kind of at the top of Ring of Honor, I remember... Steen talks about how, like, that big main event they had, Final Battle 2010, when they, like, blew off their, like, massive Ring of Honor blood feud. And Steen talks in one of the DVDs about how, like, they weren't really the main event. Because Jim Jim Cornette was the booker at the time, and Jim Cornette fucking hated them. And so, like, they let them have it, but they kind of promoted the championship match between Jim Cornette's guys that he liked as the main event. Because it was a... Oh, what's the term? It's a... um, Uh, Not allowed match. Unsanctioned. Yeah, it was an unsanctioned match. And because Mm. of that, it was not technically on the card. Right. Mm. So even though it was last, it wasn't the main event. And Kevin just holds a grudge about that. It's never gotten over that. Yeah, he's still (laughs) mad that they were the last match, but not the main event. Oh, Oh my God. God. I don't blame him. It's an amazing match. It's a fantastic match. Yeah. So you have an academic background. Yes. I have a PhD specifically. Oh, shit. Okay. (laughs) Yes, I'm a doctor of wrestling. In Sammy and Kevin, I imagine. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how does your academic, even discipline-specific background influence the way that you approached building a body? Because you have a fucking body of work now about this thing. And, like... I don't know. What's your PhD in? It's in media studies and rhetorical studies. Okay. Because obviously, like, the way that you form that is going to be different than if you've got, like, a sociologist, like, what their body of work is going to look like. It's very much, I study rhetorical tropes. I study how media narratives work. So Mm -hmm. I was ready to go about putting together a story out of bits and pieces from across years. I then have to ask you how careful you have been, because I, I know that I purposefully chose not to get a PhD for multiple reasons. But but one of them was, I don't know what I could choose that I would be prepared to commit that much time to, but that I would also, for me, could not be the thing I love more than anything in this world. Yes, it's, have, it's a problem. I actually studied, it was a, quite a while ago, I studied internet communities on Usenet for my PhD oh, thesis. Mm unwisely chose to study an abortion Usenet news group to look at political discussion. And so I had to read every message posted to this for like three months. Oh, no. Oh, no. And then analyze them. And it was after a while, you're like, oh, this was a terrible decision. What was I thinking? (laughs) But it also is a problem if you pick something you love because you're going to get tired of it. 
So it's a really hard balance to find something that you want to pull apart and really pick apart, but it has to be something that you don't love and you don't hate in some ways. Have you been careful, I guess, in your sort of academic life to go, I'm never going to seek to like do something specific, ordained, sanctioned, whatever you want to call it by like the ivory tower with wrestling because I don't know. I've thought about trying and I just can't find a good angle to do an actual academic approach to it. I'm just too invested. It wouldn't work. I know what you mean. I don't want to approach it that way. Yeah. There's a reason I list my Twitter biography. I say I'm an amateur hagiographer. (laughs) (laughs) Hagiography is, of course, a biography that's just incredibly biased, right? Right. Makes no pretense. You know, this is the wonderful biography of the great and amazing person. I don't want to have to be fair and equal and go find people who hate Kevin and Sammy to make sure all sides are heard from. No, I just want to talk about how great they are. That's so interesting that you say that because like in preparation for the show, I've been rereading a lot of your work that I got into after Bob introduced me to it. Which I have not been allowed to read, but I'm excited about it. I think now you can probably read some of it. Okay. Yes. I find myself working in the realm of wrestling news now. Where not only do you have to be, you know, to to be very objective and journalistic in that way, but you're looking at the industry in that way. And like, I'm working with people who have been doing wrestling news for years and like know all these people and know their secrets that they can't print. And I've been getting such a strange education into this brand new perspective on wrestling that I find fascinating, but don't love in the way that I love engaging with it the way you do, which is engaging with it as an art form and as a piece of media. So after, you know, months now of getting into wrestling from this weird new perspective to go back and read your work on wrestling and specifically the storylines as an art form has been really rejuvenating to me. Oh, that's good. It's just very interesting that you talk about how you don't necessarily want to engage it from that academic perspective because you don't want to lose that, you know? Which I can understand. Yeah, in academia, it's always like, I was taught by a fellow teacher whenever I was like, well, I have to choose books that I might, you know, be willing to teach to students for this course. She said, never teach a book you love. Never. Yeah. And she, Interesting. <laughs> she was like, she said, they'll ruin it. they're gonna say stupid things about it that are gonna drive you crazy yeah it's like taking people on a road trip they don't want to go on and so you're just like you can't ever force people to read something that you love because it'll break your heart to see them not love it and you just have to choose like middle i it's i'm interested like that's the direction you have to go and that's fine but it is like interesting to then go then of my own volition i guess i do this other whole thing with it which in some ways perhaps is why like fandom exists you're just like yeah no i'm not going to engage with this with the casuals i can't they'll kill it (laughs) it's really it's really interesting what miles says because i have dabbled in writing for pay. And eventually I was kind of like, no, because then I approached the wrestling as something that I have to pay attention to in order to write something specific. It wasn't as much fun. I was like, no, okay, I have a job. Actually, I actually already have a job and wrestling is something I'm going to do for fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was was tough. Yeah. 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 
Well, it is just such a privilege to have you here. Myth will be joining us for Bob's breakdown, as well as the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We will then crown one or more talented performers with the heavy, regal, but also vaguely non-Euclidean burden that is the Borens Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit, and finish things off with a highly anticipated game of Guess the Gimmick. No wrestling term of the week for this episode, since we have a guest, and also no cheap pop quiz, but we do need to take a moment to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob suddenly has six points in this round of quizzing, which could be a problem. Let's see if I manage to prevent them acquiring any more. Question number one. So we know for a fact that there are four confirmed matches at NXT TakeOver Our Evolution, however... Two notable people who appeared on this week's episode of NXT are not currently announced for the show, Tyson Kidd and Tyler Breeze. What are they doing at TakeOver? Was it A, Kidd wrestles the debuting Kevin Owens. Breeze does not appear on the show. B, Breeze wrestles the debuting Kevin Owens. Kidd does not appear on the show. C, Kidd and Breeze team up again to take on Wesley Blake and Buddy Murphy. D, Kid and Breeze wrestle each other, or E, neither Kid nor Breeze appears on the show. Megan Bob? Yep. You went with E, and you were correct. Oh, I forgot. For whatever reason, I was like, no, I bet he said he wrestles Kevin Owens, didn't I? No, no, you said neither of them do anything on the show, and you were right about that, so up to seven points now, Bob. Oh no, oh no! Oh yeah, oh Oh, we're doing this. Question number two. Meanwhile, you've also got Baron Corbin and Bull Dempsey doing their thing on this episode, but they likewise haven't been announced for TakeOver. What are those two dudes doing on the show? Was it A, Corbin squashes Ty Dillinger while Dempsey applauds sarcastically from the audience? B, Dempsey squashes Jason Jordan while Corbin applauds sarcastically from the audience? C, Similar to this episode, the one we covered last time, Corbin squashes Ty Dillinger, then Dempsey squashes Jason Jordan, but faster. D, Corbin and Dempsey wrestle each other, or E, neither Corbin nor Dempsey appears on the show. Bob, this time around, you went with the answer C, Corbin squashes Dillinger, and then Dempsey squashes Jordan faster. That, unfortunately, is incorrect. Unfortunately for Jason Jordan, though. We have to keep him safe at all costs. That's right. Yeah, he's not doing it. I'm not sure what he's investigating during TakeOver, but he's not doing it in front of our cameras. So the correct answer was A, Corbin squashes Ty Dillinger while Dempsey applauds sarcastically from the audience. Uh, And question number three, we asked Bob to choose the winners of the three championship matches going down at TakeOver Our Evolution, as we always do. I said everybody changes. I said nobody gets to keep the belt. Everybody's changing belts. That's correct. Bob went with the Villains, Sasha Banks, and Sami Zayn. I know, bold move. It was bold. They were right about Zayn. They were wrong about the other two. So no point for Bob on that one. Still at seven, Bob. Still a respectable distance away from the next romance novel bonus episode, but within sweep range. So we should probably get to work on the last (laughs) romance novel bonus episode, which means I need to get reading. (laughs) But we don't have to worry about that right now. It's now time to dig deep into NXT TakeOver Our Evolution. We do that via Bob's breakdown. Bob, take it away. Our commentary team is Rich Brennan, Alex Riley, and Corey Graves for the first time. 
Yes. Corey Graves is now on commentary, which means that we don't have Renee Young. And that's kind of a bummer, but our commentary team was okay. I had forgotten that Riley was on the show. <laughs> In my head, he's not there. <laughs> well, we'll get to it. <laughs> so we start with a fun package. It's like someone let the drama kids loose with the video editing equipment. And yeah, it's also... You know, like the pages in the yearbook where it's like, oh, it's a big retrospective of how much everyone has grown and changed. <laughs> but it's like that, but a video. And I'm into all of it, except there's this one part. Spurious part. It's clearly non-canonical. It's a Neville voiceover where he says in a mean voice, tonight I end Sammy's road to redemption. I was like, no, no. That is like Samwise Gamgee saying, fuck you, Pippin. Like... No, no, that did not happen. So funny, because I, I had the same thing. I was like, Neville isn't that bad of a heel at this point. Yeah! He's not actually, he's not really a heel at all. Yeah, he's teasing heel turn. Yeah! He doesn't get around to it, and he never would have said that in the night Sammy Zane. Shocked that, there, that somebody was like, yeah, we're going to have him say this, because I was like, this is a betrayal of the character, and I will not stand for it, so... Excise that. That didn't happen. My only counter to that, Bob, is that I feel like, and, and this is, I, I completely agree with you, but my only counter to that would be, if I wanted to, like, no prize it or whatever, is that the storyline of Sammy and, and Neville is, like, Neville's not a heel. He's, they're both baby faces, but Neville is, like, the WWE baby face who's a dick person, even though you're supposed to cheer for them. <laughs> and they do things that maybe a morally righteous person wouldn't necessarily do. And Sammy is the other kind of baby face where he's actually, like, a good person. And that's where the conflict comes in. So, like, you can see, because Neville is that, like, dyed-in-the-wool, you know, as we talk about ad nauseum, knows how the show works, like, is that really, like, in-the-wrestling-thing baby face, I can see that character being like, okay, I'll say this for a promo. <laughs> <laughs> We're breaking kayfabe for this. All right, fine. <laughs> and then, who is this? It's the new kid in school. It's Kevin Owens. Guys, he has a shirt already. He has a shirt. He debuts mm -hmm. with a shirt. How the fuck does he have a shirt already? He's Kevin Owens. He's Kevin Owens. But nobody, did Finn Balor already? Well, I saw somebody with a Balor club. But was that... This is like right around the point where they've started being like, all right, we're anticipating that people are going to love these indie guys, so we're going to get shit ready for them, you know? Oh, okay. Okay. It was the first time I'd seen somebody, but like, I mean, Finn Balor can't come out in a shirt. What's the goddamn point? But this is like the big, this is the first like indie talent debuts with a big match at TakeOver mm. match, right? Like Itami showed up at TakeOver, but it wasn't in a match. It was like, you know, he showed up to announce that he'd been signed and then he got into that thing with the Ascension. This is the first of many instances where it's like X talent that you know from the indies debuts in NXT and like is basically the same character they were on the indies. Oh, so okay. it's a first in a lot of ways. All right. Bob. Yes. We held off on the last episode on a Kevin Owens trading card. Okay, I have to say something to the people listening to the show before you tell me anything about Kevin Owens. Okay. Okay. People, if you've never seen Kevin Owens before, I can describe him to you, but you're not going to get it. You're just not. He looks like 
your big brother's friend slash weed dealer who fucks. <laughs> he does not talk about how much he fucks, but rest assured, he fucks. <laughs> That's what Kevin Owens looks like. So I need you to picture that whenever this trading card happens. This trading card is entitled Kevin Owens or Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. <laughs> because it's a Kevin Owens trading card, but it's also a Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn trading card because it is so fucking utterly pointless to talk about one of them without talking about the other. It's also going to be a bit of an untraditional trading card because I have a lot to talk about here. And Myth is going to come in at various points. I'm going to throw it to Myth to talk about some things. We're going to get through it as fast as we can, but... You have to understand that, like, this is the NXT Revolution is the episode where Miles has feelings about Kevin Owens. So, <laughs> if you want to know exactly how pointless it is to talk about one of these two, Owens and Zane, without talking about the other one, I very strongly recommend, and I believe Bob can do this now, I very strongly recommend you go and read Myths, I want to say, 20 part series? I think yeah. so. I think around there. I'm excited. That explains in great detail and beautifully written again their entire history pre-NXT, right? And you also have a series that Bob definitely cannot read about the road to redemption because I, th I think that gives away some stuff that comes along later. But you can read that a little bit down the line, Bob. But the 20-part series where Myth, you really get into the details on all of their interactions as they were coming up in the, in the independent scene just cannot recommend it enough. If you haven't done that, you're a fool who has foolishly done other things with your time. But if you are that fool, as I was prior to reading these, I have to impress on you how crucial these two are to one another, how connected they are, how connected they were for a solid decade plus leading up to the show we're covering today. Sami Zayn changed his entire character when he came to WWE. Indeed, according to myth, it is not the same character. <laughs> According to Sammy, Sammy it's not. Too, yes. According Sammy to Sammy as well. On this as well. Yes. Although when he talks to Kevin about their past history, it you have to confusing. wonder. Who, yeah. <laughs> you have to wonder who he's talking about in that <laughs> case. But for the purposes of this trading card, let's assume, even though we know it's not true, that El Generico and Sami Zayn are the same person. So when he came to WWE, he lost his mask. He gained the ability suddenly to speak full sentences miraculously in three uh, languages. That yeah. yeah. He started building a whole new version of his wrestling persona upon his arrival in NXT. Kevin Owens, not so much. His real name is Kevin Steen. He was known as Kevin Steen for his entire wrestling career until arriving in WWE. And that is his even, real legal name, too. Yes, that is his legal name. And even then, even when he showed up in WWE, he's still Kevin. And his new surname is actually a reference to his son, whose name is Owen. So Aww. that's also very highly personal. He's just kind of always been him in more ways than you can possibly imagine. So these two guys start training in Quebec in the early 2000s. Steen makes his debut, as far as I can tell, in 2000, in the year 2000, for Jacques Rougeau's promotion, which I believe is called Loot. Zane debuts as his original character, El Generico. Again, the operating assumption, which we know is not true. In 2002, in a promotion called Federation des Luttes Québécois, or FLQ. Okay. But they first crossed paths in the International Wrestling Syndicate. And I was wondering, Myth, if you could tell us a little bit 
about what it was like when they met and like what their first moment in the ring was like, because I love that story. Now, technically, this is my own actually moment. When he wrestled before IWS, he was as a character called Stevie McFly. Oh, okay. Okay, which was okay. a Back to the Future inspired wrestling <laughs> character. Aww. And for a long time, Sammy gave his birthplace as the town in Back to the Future. Oh. Oh, did he really? Hill Valley, I think it's called. When he moved to IWS, one of his first nights there, they had one of their big tough guys was supposed to torture some wrestler to make clear how terrifying his submission was. And they needed some kid to go out there and get tortured, but they didn't want to send somebody out that it would affect their career in the long term, and that their first memory of this kid would be him getting tortured. So they grabbed this kid backstage who had never wrestled there and said, put on this luchador mask <gasps> and go out and get tortured and eventually submit to show how strong this guy is. And he went out in his first match and proceeded to suffer so dramatically that the audience fell in love with him. <gasps> and halfway through the match, the big strong guy said, that's it. You have to win this match. Oh, wow. So he eventually gave up in disgust and walked away and got counted out. So El Generico won his first match, which he was not supposed to do because he suffered so beautifully. Oh my God. Which is the Sami Zayn story. It's the mission statement. Yeah. Isn't that great? I did not know that. Wow. Meanwhile, Kevin is wrestling in Rougeau's school and Rougeau's way of teaching was that you did the same match exactly the same way every time with no changes for three months. Oh, no. And Kevin was, of course, dying of boredom. And eventually he managed to wheedle his way into getting to wrestle in IWS a little bit. He and Sammy were supposed to have a match. And Rougeau, I think, probably got wind of it and decided that he was going to put a stop to that and told Kevin, no, you have to wrestle exclusively for me from now on. And Rougeau specifically said, I'm a former WWE guy. WWE is coming to town early next year. I will make sure you get a tryout. And Kevin was like Rougeau's boy, right? Oh, like he was oh, the he was, he was the, the best. The best in that in that school. Yeah. Everybody knew that if he got a tryout, he would be working for WWE pretty soon. And Kevin says now that probably wasn't true because that isn't how it worked, but he didn't know that. And so he's got this horrible dilemma where he either has to give up, basically, as he sees it, he has to give up his dream of working for WWE and stay in IWS and have a shot at wrestling El Generico, or he has to give up that shot. And he begs for one last singles match and gets it. And he has this match with El Generico that goes for 30 minutes. <gasps> it's the first time the two of them have ever been in the ring as a singles wrestlers together. They had a three-way match earlier. And at the end of the match, the crowd starts chanting, please don't go. Aww. And Kevin remembers that he burst into tears. Aww. And he had just had this amazing match with this guy that he clearly is like, this is the guy I want to wrestle the rest of my life. And he called up Rougeau the next day and said, I can't do it. I can't quit wrestling outside of your school. And Rougeau hung up on him. And that was the end of that. And he went and started wrestling for IWS after that and never looked back. That's incredible. 
I also love the story of the first triple threat where they're in there with PCO and they're doing the thing where they're both sort of independently attacking PCO and he's fighting both of them off. And then they start teaming up. Yeah. And like they do it really hesitantly. Despite themselves, they start teaming up and they start like working really well together to attack PCO. And And then then Generico is like, he kind of turns around and he's like, oh, this guy's guy's great. great. I have a friend. friend. And then Kevin Kevin super kicks him in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just like. up for a moment and then Kevin turns on him. It's the story of their entire career, just right there laid out. You talked about it being a thesis statement in one of your articles. And like, and it really, it really is. The other thing I wanted to say, so I have a lot of sympathy for Kevin in the Rougeau school, specifically because I had a college course once, and there was this teacher. He tells us very clearly, he's like, make sure you take notes in my class, because you're going to need the notes for the test. And so I was like, all right, I took notes for the class, and I, I took the midterm, and I did horribly on it. I got like a D on it. And I went to him after, and I was like, I don't understand. Like, I took notes. I, I understood the material. Like, I summarized the material in your essay questions. Like, what did I do? And he goes, no, you don't understand. What I want you to do is write down what I say in class verbatim, memorize it, and put that on the test. Yeah. And I was like... I know teachers like that. That is the most backwards-ass way of doing something I've ever heard in my life. And let me tell you, didn't learn shit from that class. Holy shit. Anyway, Steen and Generico proceed to wrestle for multiple American promotions throughout the early 2000s, including Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, Combat Zone Wrestling, and Chikara. In the early days, they had this dynamic where they were opponents, but they often found themselves teaming together, which would inevitably end with Steen turning on Generico after the match. But eventually they start winning, and Steen stops turning on him. They don't become like an official tag team, but they have this weird relationship everywhere they go where they're sort of doing their own thing, often like forming tag teams with other people even, but they have this established friendship. And there's one moment in particular that I was hoping Myth could touch on when Steen starts feuding with Generico's tag team partner, whose name is Beef Wellington. Right. So Kevin actually has a match with a character called Damien, and he's been feuding with Beef Wellington as well. And he has actually an incredibly good match with this Damien guy. It's, it's really good and brutal and his chairs everywhere. But after the match is over, Beef Wellington jumps into the ring to attack Kevin and Kevin is beating him up. Generico shows up to try to stop the beatdown because he's Beef Wellington's tag partner, right? He pushes, or Generico says nothing at this point except for Olay. He pushes Kevin into a corner and Kevin looks at him and yells, what are you doing here? This isn't about you and me. This isn't about you and me. And Generico stares at him and then turns around and super kicks Beef Wellington. (laughs) Haluva kicks. Haluva kicks kicks Beef Wellington. Yeah. Yeah. And just turns on him and is like, okay, now it is about you and me. Yep. Guess what? Everything's about you and me. It's never not about you and me. Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. My fandom heart is so happy. (laughs) Telling you, man. So Steen and Generico have this weird, like, amazingly compelling dynamic. Steen is clearly a heel, 
And Generico is clearly a babyface, like, a lot of the time, but they're, like, best friends. And that's the dynamic they brought to Ring of Honor in 2007, when they first become an official tag team. And they eventually also team up in PWG. They win tag team championships in both companies. This, like, tag team between them lasts for basically, like, three years, almost exactly. And this is the period where I first came across the team that in Ring of Honor was sort of lovingly referred to as Steenerico. They even had a fandom name, Bob, a shipping name. Aww. Because in the late 2000s and early 2010s, I was very much like a Ring of Honor guy. We talked earlier about how they like didn't quite fit with Ring of Honor, but like when I saw them, I just fell in love almost immediately. Possibly in part because they were so different and because they stood out so much from your Davy Richardses and your Eddie Edwardses, you know. Do you remember the what the first match you saw with them was? I don't exactly remember the first match I ever saw, like, period, but I remember the first one that really made an impact, which was the man-up ladder match with the Briscoes. That match is fucking incredible. And, of course, at the end of that match, it's so telling. I love the matches where, like, where there's just an absolute banger, and at the end, somebody comes in and changes everything, because that's at the end of that match where the Age of the Fall debuts, and Jimmy Jacobs stands in the middle of the ring, and Jay Briscoe is hung from the ceiling on the on the, the, the loops they use to hang so the belt. It's so hard that they have to cut it. And he's bleeding on top of Jacobs, and Jacobs is, like, bathing in it in this white Jesus. suit that's getting so bloody. It's Does so Bob disgusting. Does Age of the Fall yet? No, no. I don't believe oh they do. Oh my god. It's uh, Jimmy Jacobs and the future Seth Rollins yes. being metrosexual together. <gasps> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. They're a delight. The Ring of Honor people hated them so much. Oh. Yeah. They were fantastic. That's my like first like really strong early memory of Steen and Generico. Yeah, that's a strong memory. Yeah, but I remember they had those matches. Like, there was a match they had with BB Hulk and Shingo Takagi at one of their big shows that was absolutely incredible. And, like, I was absolutely in love with them. But in particular, I was in love with Steen. I've always been kind of a sucker for big dudes who can, like, move and who can fly around. But it wasn't just that. His character was so fascinating. He had this, like, simmering, barely contained rage. And, like, they were baby faces for a decent portion of their run at the end. Like, the people were in love with them. They cheered them. But he was just so mad at everybody. <laughs> and, like... He would do these things. I went to see him when I went to WrestleMania in Phoenix in 2010. The Ring of Honor ran a show that year. And I remember being in the crowd and he did the thing where he like pretended to he was about to do a high flying move and he stopped himself because fuck you. He's not doing that. Uh. And it was like that kind of thing. The fact that he never, ever, ever shuts his goddamn mouth. He just he talks and he talks and he's constantly talking to people in the ring, you know, like telling them, mocking them, mixing like, it up with fans, talking to the crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Like he just hates everyone, and the only person he doesn't hate, for some reason, is this weird fucking redhead in a luchador mask. <laughs> so like, he becomes one of my favorite wrestlers almost immediately, and then when he finally turns on him at the end of 2009, kicking off their like blood feud that lasted for an entire year, the entirety of 2010. He really did become, like, my favorite wrestler. So, Myth, you went back and you watched this era of Steen and Generico. Like, how do you feel about this particular era of like, the Steen turn and then the, the year of feuding that leads to their mask versus career match? I'm so glad that I wasn't watching at the time because I think my heart would have been so completely broken by it. Yeah. It's brutal. It is such a good heel turn. It's one of those things. There's so much stuff with wrestling that I'm like, I understand why it's there. I wish it weren't. He does the most 
brutal headshot with a chair to Generico at that turn. It is a straight up, Generico is on his knees staring at him imploringly and makes no move to stop it. And he just clobbers him with the chair. Yeah. And it's now watching, I'm kind of like, oh no, don't, don't hurt. Don't hurt Sammy. Yeah. But it really works. The crowd is devastated. They are gutted by this. Because it was one of those things where like you always kind of expected it, but then it never happened. And so when it finally does, it's such a huge thing. And the character of Steen just like slowly going completely insane. And he does incredible long-term storytelling leading up to it because he teases he uses his knee, which he damaged when he was 19, 18, 18, and it always has bothered him. And so in the months leading up to this heel turn, he sells how much his knee is bothering him all the time. Oh. Every time he does a sharpshooter, he's screaming in pain because his knee is hurting. And finally, he's just getting more and more. He lets his hair grow out until it's all shaggy and he lets his beard get all scraggly. And so he finally does this big speech that is supposed, it's clearly a retirement (gasps) The audience absolutely buys it. They're heartbroken. Oh my God, because he's in tears. Oh my God. He just, he wants to thank everybody. He's clearly out of character because he thanks like the Briscoes who they have blood feuds with. Mm -hmm. He thanks everybody. He turns to Generico and says, and you... And he bursts into tears and Generico hugs him. Ah. And he says, to you, I just have to say. And they hug and they turns back and look, I hate your fucking guts. <gasps> and then attacks him. And the audience is both horrified and thrilled. <sighs> For the same reason, I think, kind of, that you were thrilled, Miles, when he turned yes. on Sammy. Because they're like, oh my God, Kevin isn't leaving. We were so afraid that he yeah. was going to retire. No, no, this is kicking off something really new and exciting. He loves doing that shit. <laughs> he loves doing that shit so yes. much. Like, yes. I, so they had their blood feud. They do the mass versus career match, which Steen loses. El Generico, like, kind of triumphantly wins. But, like, the funny thing about that, though, is that Steen, Steen is, supposed is supposed to leave the promotion, promotion but, but it's, it's basically, basically Generico's, Generico's last like big, big match in Ring of Honor. Because it is, actually. He has a couple of others, but mostly he's done. He like does some stuff for them in 2011. He wins like the television championship, but he wasn't featured the way you would expect the winner of the main event of Final Battle to be featured, which we've talked about like is kind of because Cornette didn't like him. And he split the time like pretty evenly across like all, the entire independent scene for a couple of years before he goes to WWE in 2013. And then Steen does eventually come back like six months later. And a year later. He comes back six months later and does a quick appearance, but then he doesn't wrestle for a full year. He comes well, back and yeah. does a quick appearance, and then they say, actually, no, we still don't have anything for you. Right, because he was getting the the sort of the runaround behind the scenes. But I love the six-month-later appearance, one of my favorite things, because Steve Carino is doing the evil anonymous thing. He's a former villain. He's coming to the ring going, my name is Steve Carino, and I'm an evil person. And... He gets Jimmy Jacobs to, to Jimmy Jacobs is like his sponsor, former Age of the Fall member Jimmy Jacobs. He's like he's also coming. My name is Jimmy Jacobs. I'm an evil person, and they're trying to get 
Cornette, who's an on-screen authority figure as well, to bring back Steen because they're like Steen, Kevin. He's he's we've got to him. He's reformed. He needs redemption. At, at one point, it was the I forget what show it was exactly, but he comes back and Carino convinces Cornette to let Kevin have a mic. Kevin gets the mic and he's like, "Oh, thank you, thank you. Listen, I'm sorry. I'm not going to take long. I know I'm not supposed to be here. I just wanted to say one thing. My name is Kevin Steen." And fuck Ring of Honor! And he fucking <laughs> and he gives Carino, insane. He gives Karina the package pile driver, and they get, the security's dragging him out. He's being dragged out with his middle fingers in the air, laughing like a fucking maniac. He's just completely over the deep end. And he comes back, like you said, a year later. He comes back and corrupts Carino and corrupts Jimmy Jacobs. And wins the Ring of Honor World Championship because these people that have been trying so hard to be good, despite their past, have been dragged back into villainy oh by the God. the aura of Kevin Steed. They form this group called Scum, which stands for Suffering, Chaos, Ugliness, and Mayhem. And they're on a crusade to destroy Ring of Honor. And it's like one of my favorite storylines ever. And at one point, they do a thing where Steen has won the World Championship at this point. And Generico comes back. I remember Steen, like, beats somebody for the title. And then somebody delivers him a box and he opens the box and it's Generico's mask. He holds it up like like, Yorick's skull. And he looks at it like you see the ghost. And they have this match for the the championship, which Steen wins. At one point during that feud, Generico comes back and Steen, like, puts him through a table. And they're lying together in the wreckage of the table. And Steen is, like, cradling his head. (gasps) And he looks at him and he just says, this will never be over. And like <laughs> laughs maniacally more. And then Generico leaves. And they have one more match in PWG, right, Myth, where Generico finally kind of beats him. Am I right about that? Yeah, they have a couple of great matches Yeah. in 2011, 2012. I get the years wrong. As Generico is clearly getting ready to move to WWE, yeah. So he does, and then he's in NXT and Steen is still on the indies. And I did not know any of this stuff before I started reading your work, but like I was amazed you went back through all the high spot stuff. But Steen doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do with himself without Generico there. And he keeps like finding people who kind of look like him and like talk <gasps> to him, right? Like he's doing all this weird stuff. When he sees fans wearing generico masks, he always responds like in character <gasps> mm-hmm. uh, with a mix of affection and hatred, which is perfect, right? Oh my right. god. He's got this amazing thing called Weekend Escapades with Kevin Steen. Right. Where he just has these sort of really naturalistic, I'm driving to the airport sort of stuff. And now and then it suddenly breaks down into clearly cinematic stuff. Like he's sitting in a car, hanging out with some tired wrestlers, and suddenly a masked guy walks by and Kevin just drops everything. He's like, wait, wait, is that Generico? And chases him and confronts him and it's not. (gasps) That's clearly scripted. And it's really Mm -hmm. fascinating because I feel like being the elite is definitely a continuation of that same sort of, you know, it's really naturalistic, but then stuff will happen that's storyline related. Well, they were all buds. Yeah, they were all really good friends. Kevin's clearly trying to create a sort of bridge 
to when he gets to WWE, he's trying to keep that story going, oh. even though he's not sure if he's going to make it at that point. Oh, my God. All the stuff that was in the video packages leading up to this, where he talks about how, like, they called everybody else first is, like, very grounded in real life. And that the fact that he didn't know, nobody thought that they would ever hire him because of his look. He looks overweight. He doesn't have the typical muscly look that Vince loves, you know, and, like, I just remember nobody thinking, Kevin's never going to WWE. Come on now. What are we doing? This is one of my favorites. There's a PWG show. And William Regal <gasps> is backstage. This is from 2012, I think, 2013. Mm. And so everybody's just, the fans and the wrestlers, of course, are all just in a tizzy. Because William Regal's here. He's clearly scoping out talent. And Kevin and Johnny Gargano have a match that night. And they're like okay, we're going to make an amazing match here. And they do. And Kevin just tortures Johnny Gargano and Gargano suffers, you know. Also uh, very good at that, yes. Over yes. the top way, it's great. And I went back and found message boards discussing who Regal might have been scouting. And nobody mentions Kevin's. <gasps> Um. Nobody mentions it as a possibility. They mention almost everybody else. And Kevin himself was like, look, if I can turn in the performance of my life, I know obviously Regal's here to see Johnny or anybody else on the card, but if I can just catch his attention, maybe. And once he got to NXT, he was telling Triple H that story. He was like, I know Regal wasn't there to see me, but I just hoped I could catch his attention. And Triple H starts laughing. <laughs> <gasps> Who do you think Regal was there to check out? It was you. Oh, my God. You were the person he was there to scout. Wow. It was his evil, villainous fairy godfather. <laughs> yes! To pluck him from obscurity and take him to NXT. It's not really obscurity, of course. Right, but... You know what I mean. To take him to the though. ball. He's going to take yeah. him to the ball. So now here we are, and Kevin's finally here. He's in NXT. We, that was a very lengthy, in-depth going over of the story between him and Generico, a.k.a. Sami Zayn. But, like, you have to understand that this kind of story and this kind of connection wrestling between two people does not come around very often. This is like a very rare circumstance where you they, they really are. They're linked to one another. They're inevitably, they have to be. And so that's what we're working with when he walks into that arena to wrestle fucking CJ Parker. <laughs> and here we go, because CJ Parker comes out, the least popular kid in school, sadly. It's tough to be part of a subculture that isn't popular anymore. Try being a rave kid these days. But I do <laughs> want to say, plur, my friends, plur. So the bell goes, Owen smashes Parker. Not like that, but he could smash like that. And he could smash like that if you asked him nicely. He <laughs> cannonballs into Parker and then reaches for Parker's sign that says, my fight matters, tears it to shreds before doing a fucking jump to the outside over the top goddamn rope. Yep. Owens is 262 fucking pounds. It is the most beautiful thing. I would choose that over any balletic thing that Finn Balor does in so many ways. It is spectacular. And Parker takes over the match for a minute, destroys Owens' face with a palm strike, opens Owens up. Now, 
you're wondering, is he hotter with blood on his face? Fuck yes, he is hotter with blood <laughs> on his face. I wish for him to give me a piggyback ride away from the mosh pit. But Owens is mad now and murders Parker with a powerbomb in a pin that leaves Parker a patchouli-scented smear upon the mat. <laughs> so that's over. He goes backstage. Now we cut to backstage. Neville, Neville's doing sexy squats. There's also talking head stuff, but he was doing sexy squats, so I don't care, and I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) We're moving on. Tag team championship match. Okay, so I do feel bad, because Sin Cara always looks like he's the person who's best friends with the valedictorian. Like, Kalisto's here going, I have 17 extracurriculars, and is doing everything (laughs) under the sun and putting on a show, and Sin Cara's just going like, I have a 3.75 in jumpiness. What the fuck else do you want from me? But he's like, get degrees. Yeah, but he's like, look, I'm here with my friend. Okay, fine. And the vaudevillains are here to show those fucking nerds what's up. Bell goes, Gotch takes a bit of a beating at the start of the match, and Sinkara does what, it's a wheelbarrow sent on. Really what it is, is when you take your small friend and you chuck him. Right. On to someone else. I'm, I'm such a mark for it. If you want me to pop at any event, doesn't matter if it's wrestling or not. Take your small feisty friend, throw him at somebody. I mean, in the context <laughs> of a fight, please. Don't do that just at the Albertsons. <laughs> if you are looking to get my attention at the Albertsons, don't check your small friend at me. There are better ways. Yeah. don't. In fact, if I'm at the Albertsons, don't attract my attention. I will flee immediately. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The crowd is on the side of the VOD villains, though, which I became very worried at this point because I was like, oh, no, I'm very scared if the Lucha Dragons retain that the crowd is going to viciously turn on them. Yeah. So there's cheers when English tugs Sin Cara out of the ring and onto the floor. And now the VOD villains trade off Sin Cara, working him over. And then at this point, I want to turn to the commentary table. The commentary table just starts periodically abandoning Rich Brennan. (laughs) Just slabs of silence laid out there until Rich (laughs) Brennan will say a thing about a play-by-play. As though Alex Riley and Corey Graves don't know how to help and are going, the best I can do is stay out of the way. And it's very (laughs) strange to hear because there would just be like periods where I'm like, oh, I'm just watching a match. Nobody's saying anything. It's interesting to have that at TakeOver, Um, but it was when they chose to debut Corey Graves, so we know, I guess, you know, the chemistry is all still getting worked out. It's his first show, and Alex Riley is just very bad at his job, so. Yeah, it's a bold move, I suppose, is what I'll say. I do think that this might be, like, where Brennan started getting a reputation among wrestling fans for being a really good commentator. Because he really does handle this whole thing very well. I think this era is where people really start coming around on Brennan. And honestly, like, when he first debuted, I was like, oh man, this fucking guy. I remember hating him so much. But I promised to sort of update people on that. And honestly, I have no problem with him so far. So maybe it comes in later. Maybe it was just me being younger and more of a dick. So the VOD villains are wrong-footed when English gets Sinkata on the corner to do a thing at him, to him, who knows. And Sinkata vaults over him, leaps to tag Kalisto. Cue the Mario star. Kalisto absolutely proves how he got that 4.25 GPA. He does (laughs) the thing that you love to see a Lucha Boy do, 
where, you know, they do a handstand at the ropes and then rebound off of it into a move. He does that with no hands. Which, in gymnastics and such, there are headstands, there are handstands. I don't know what that was. He just levitated at the ropes, bounced off of them, and then did a move. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, if you want to see it, it's there. You can see this. People, it has been captured on film. You know, can humans levitate? Maybe Kalisto can. If you're playing along, if you're playing the drinking game of that's called how did WWE fuck this guy up? Like eventually, just take a shot right now. I mean, like, <laughs> like how the fuck? What? <laughs> I understand he had a bad promo one time. That doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's not a thing I've seen before or since. I don't like if if I think about any other Lucha Boys who are all I've seen some good Lucha Boys. I've never yep. seen anyone do that. But the VOD villains end up on the outside as the Lucha Dragons take complete control. And they're going to do, you know, a leap outside the VOD villains. English. English shoves Gotch out of the way. And takes a double dragon straight to the floor. Chivalry! 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 The crowd chants. It's it's, It's my heart exploded. (laughs) Close up on Gotch. You can't believe that English saved his life like that. He has to capitalize on this noble sacrifice that his friend made. He grabs Kalisto, throws him in the ring to get the pin. Kalisto, obviously, gravity means nothing to him. Nothing means anything to him. So he does Salida del Sol, pins Gotch, and then retains the title for the Lucha Dragons. The crowd is fine with it, which I was like, yeah. Yeah, thank God. That was a relief, yeah. Thank fucking God. Now, Baron Corbin is going to murder Ty Dillinger. Important notes. Ty Dillinger does the peck dance. Very good. Great. Yep. Multiple women scream in ecstasy for Baron Corbin. How Very times have changed. Loudly. Oh. <laughs> Im- impassioned cries. I was like, <laughs> huh, that's aged weirdly. Corbin takes longer than 30 seconds to defeat Ty Dillinger, and the crowd kind of resents it. Bull Dempsey is in the crowd looking disapprovingly at all of this, and he does a slow clap, which is the worst kind of clap. I mean, maybe the golf <laughs> clap is the worst clap. That's as arguable. And then, look, there's nothing else to cover here. The only thing, and I'm going to turn to both of you because there was a moment that I, I noticed in the crowd that I thought was fucking nuts as Corbin is going up the ramp a little bit and Dempsey is kind of turned to face him. So they're facing off. There's a guy who's kind of situated between them in a suit with a red tie who's bald, who's like looking between them like, oh, yeah, they're going to fuck. And you're like, what the hell is this guy doing here? And you're like, is this guy something or is he just like happy weirdo? Which I'm like, as would I be in that crowd. But still, it was very pleasing to see this one guy. I don't know if he's anyone in particular or if he's just some dude in the crowd. But I do know that I remember, I don't know if you remember this myth, but I remember being like, Kind of excited about about Corbin and Dempsey. Yes, there's a moment coming up, and I can't remember what it is, where they have some confrontation mm-hmm. that I remember being very thrilled by at the time. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. 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 People were into this. Huh. <laughs> I feel bad that I, I... I mean, I've chosen different hills to die on. I'm very excited right, about the Ascension. Right. So. We'll, we'll see how you feel about it going forward. It's possible that it catches... Okay, you, that's true. It's also possible it just never does. Too. It's okay. also possible that like whatever emotions that would have gone into that feud, you instead chose to put into Mason Ryan. So I know I spent all those coins on that fucking <laughs> pony playset. 
Backstage, Sami Zayn is wearing shorts. He's also doing talking head stuff, but I wasn't paying attention because those scams. <laughs> now we get a retrospective on the literal only storyline that the Ascension has been in. And I yep. just, I'm happy for them. I love them. I want them to get the love they deserve. It's grudge match time. The Ascension get all the screams they fucking deserve. I'm so happy for them. Itani comes out dressed as Scorpion. Is he doing Scorpion cosplay? I don't think that's intentional. I'm not positive okay, whether I mean, or not it's intentional, but it lo- very much looks like he's doing Scorpion okay, cosplay. Okay, because like, honestly, the question I'm asking is, is that what Scorpion dresses like? Because I know we did the Mortal Kombat hard choices. All I remember from any of that is that I want to fuck Christopher Lambert. That's it. I remember nothing right. else. Well, I can tell you that in the Mortal Kombat games, Scorpion does dress in a sort of yellow outfit that looks okay. very similar to that. Although if Atami was actually cosplaying him, he'd probably have the, the face mask. Okay. And this is also like sort of pre... Johnny Gargano is the one who really... He's really the one who popularized wrestling cosplay. Although I should say, Sasha did it first. <gasps> Sasha does it uh, before go. Johnny does it, before Johnny's even there. And then Finn Balor comes out in demon mode. And it's extremely hot, but I have to step back from this hotness and say, I am a dyed-in-the-wool monster fucker. Mm-hmm. This is not quite monster fucker territory yet. This is nascent. The monster fuck here is developing because it's still clearly okay. like a man doing a monster. So not monstery enough. No, not quite yet. He's doing a bit, but I don't quite feel it yet. He's got some body language going. He's doing, you know, monstrous movement. He's got a long headdress with leather straps, his hair paint on his upper chest and neck as a set of teeth. That's hot. Any man could do that. And I'd be very into it. Yellow contact. Actually, fuck anybody. Any, even if I just saw that as a mural. (laughs) (laughs) You'd want to fuck the mural. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, that's yeah, that's a hot ass mural. Yellow contact lenses, also always a good look. And then paint down the back that's kind of like, ah, dragon tail scales. Yeah, dragon tail-ish, yeah. All right. <clears throat> Lady Whistledown's match report. Ooh. The Transylvanian diplomats have made it clear that they do not care for the presence of newcomers to the town which is something of a bold stand to take, given that they themselves are from the Carpathians. Now, <laughs> Mr. Zatami and Balor are both known in society by this point, but perhaps formal duels are different among Hibernians, as I don't think any of us quite expected Mr. Balor to show up attired as, well, as he was. <laughs> Remarkably, neither pair were overly concerned by the other, the flurry of slaps and kicks to Connor from Mr. Atami suggested someone who would be equally fearless single-handedly fighting a pack of wolves. Incidentally, the wolves at the London Zoological Museum have been very active of late. Perhaps it's the phase <laughs> of the moon and the persistent fog that has troubled us. Itami does suffer for his courage and has taken on quite the tour of pugilistic feats that the Romanian gentlemen have to offer. When the trade-off is finally made to Mr. Balor, he executes a takedown of Mr. Victor that focused on the neck with a level of intensity that one can only assume the Transylvanians could respect. He's also very fleet of foot and leapt with balletic grace on both of the gentlemen from the opposing side. 
There was a fateful moment at this event in which it seemed as though Mistress Connor and Victor were going to complete the sequence that so often ends their disagreements with others. But Mr. Itami was quick to remove Connor from the situation and allow Mr. Balor the time to velocipede kick Mr. Victor. (laughs) Once both of the Transylvanians are downed, it is always a question of whether they will remain so. But both Mr. Balor and Mr. Itami punctuated things with leaps from the top onto their fallen foes, thus removing the Transylvanians from the proceedings for the evening and sealing the place of both Mr. Balor and Mr. Itami as rather consequential members of the Tom. It's been said that there's a ship bound for Romania leaving soon, although much in need of a crew after the tragic death of the entire crew from the previous journey. (laughs) And perhaps Mistress Connor and Victor will take their leave on that very ship. But this author hopes that that day has not come quite yet. The Ascension got a story! I'm so happy, so happy for them. I can't imagine they're ever going to get anything after this, but they fucking finally got one. And I'm just, I don't have anything to say about it. There's nothing to say. I just am happy for them. It's so funny because like when I think back on our evolution, I think back on this match, like the thing that you remember is the Balor entrance, right? Because like, especially you had uh, seen his demon thing a couple of times, right? I had seen like pictures of it, but I'd never seen the entrance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I just remember, like, that entrance was like, oh my, the crowd noise when he comes out. Like, you can just hear the place go fucking insane because it really was pretty unique at the time. But, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so. Riley says, get that entrance trending somehow. And you're like, <laughs> oh my God, Alex Riley. I don't know how this works. What? Yeah. <sighs> but, like, it's funny, though, because that's the lasting image is that, like, amazing, like, when he comes up and the music is like, you know yeah it's fantastic and the music hits is great but like doing this podcast i almost i'm with you i'm almost more invested in the fact that the ascension got to fucking do something i know i'm so happy for them it's they were belt warmers you know for such a long goddamn time so thanklessly and even losing the belts kind of didn't mean that much they tried Mm -hmm. but they finally got something And, like, that's all I could hope for for them. And I know they're still out there doing the wrestles, but, like, they got to have this moment. So I'm pleased for them. Absolutely. And now we go backstage and Roman Reigns wants the World Heavyweight Championship. Spoiler alert for current reality timeline. It is fun to see Baby Reigns, though. I want to return to Shield Fic for a minute, but I also want to ask before that, did anyone know that Roman Reigns was going to be the thing that he is no. now? Okay, okay. I don't think so. He was not considered good enough on the mic, in my opinion. Huh. Yeah, I've heard I that he was not a thing. Most people thought it was going to be Ambrose. Oh, mm-hmm. but he a difficult boy, I heard. Yeah. This is post-Shield breakup, or no. no yeah, it is. is it? Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. You're right. So, like, this is when, this is post-Rollins turning on everybody. Like, the S.H.I.E.L.D. was a huge fucking deal as a unit. So uh, huge. But... I think while they were a unit, everybody thought it would be Ambrose. Mm-hmm. And then when they broke up, I think a lot of people thought it would be Rollins. Huh. Because right. he was turning in this incredible heel work and was Triple H's, you know, mentee and everything. 
That's and wild. I don't know. Roman just kind of, for a little while, kind of snuck under the radar, I guess. After the breakup, it slowly became more and more clear that they were very invested in Roman. Mm-hmm. He had that run in the prior to this in the Royal Rumble, in the 2014 Royal Rumble. That was the one where everybody booed Rey Mysterio for coming out number 30 and not being Daniel Bryan. <laughs> and so the crowd who really wanted Daniel Bryan to be in that Royal Rumble so they could they could have him in the WrestleMania, which they eventually got, of course, kind of like sort of organically got really behind Reigns in that match. Mm-hmm. I think he was like one of the last ones eliminated by Batista who eventually won and people were very upset. But I think you're right that it was definitely not clear at the time the extent to which. I mean, as we record this, the man is freaking he's been champion for like like two years or something almost. Like he's, Yeah, I believe Saturday will mark the 700th day. That's Holy right. Holy shit. That's right. right. So yeah, I don't think anybody could have predicted he would be that dominant champion, right? No. Wow. No. And so to turn to the shield pick thing, whenever Rob Intrigue was on the show, I asked because I had, you know, gone on a dive to see what crumbs I could find that I would be able to read from this period. But also it doesn't help, you know, necessarily knowing when they were published because people might have come in late. And so it's like hard to know, can I look at this fic? Can I not look at this fic? And this is very AU in which I'm like, yay. But there was so much shield fic out there. Can you give me a postage stamp, a post-it note version of like, what is there here? All, All Robin was able to tell me is there are three boys who make each other very sad a lot of the time, which I was like, oh, that's not nothing. I see the appeal here. Part of the appeal of the shield as a sort of engine for fanfic, I believe, is that if you wanted to write angsty, Mm. we hurt each other all the time and yet we're drawn to each other. You had Ambrose and and Rollins. (gasps) If you wanted to write, we are ride and die and best friends. You had Ambrose and Reigns because after Seth turned on them, Ambrose and Reigns, they never teamed up, but they were clearly, we have been drawn together to become true comrades by the betrayal of our friends. So whether you wanted to write enemies or friends, you had options. Even weirdly, Seth and Roman is kind of the odd side of the triangle out and they're the ones that are left. That's interesting. Dean was without a doubt the the center. He was the hinge of all uh, Shield fix for well, very obvious reasons. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> I watch AEW and like I was going, okay, this John Moxley fellow, I'm interested. But the moment he started doing stuff with Eddie Kingston, I was like, mm-hmm. this pairing until I die. He is one of those guys, I think, that just has amazing chemistry with other guys. Just you immediately buy that this is a relationship that's very important to him. Yes. Eddie or Seth or Roman. He's very, very good at making clear this person means a lot to me. There is And that's very valuable. Interesting. Well, no, I suppose not interestingly, because now that I know a little bit more, I believe about Nitro, there is a tiny bit of Regal and John Moxley fanfic out there from those days. Interesting. Yes. I, it's a toxic pairing and they, they're not good for each other. He was a bad, other. bad boy. Yes. Oh, he oh, was a bad, bad man. Yes. Oh, oh, swoon. Oh, my God. Ambrose's first promo after Seth turned on them 
when he got on the mic and addressed the fact that Seth had betrayed them is like one of my favorite promos that he's ever done. <gasps> and again, like you said, he can really you can just like hear how hurt and angry he is <gasps> by the betrayal. Yummy. Yeah, it's fantastic. Revenge sex. Yay. I, a few words for 2014 Roman Reigns. You're out here saying you want to become the first NXT alumnus to become the WWE champion. Except for the fact that the first episode of NXT, the very first one, had a guy named Daniel Bryan on it. <laughs> and also, you, Mr. Reigns, were in NXT for like two seconds. So I don't know what you're even talking about. Yeah, right watching that promo caused quite the discussion to erupt in my household about whether or not Daniel counted. Is he a canonical? As in NXT and did yeah. Roman count as being in NXT? Wow. It's funny because if you don't count the game show stuff, which is you have to count the game show stuff if you're saying it's Brian. If you don't count the game show stuff and you just count the post-FCW stuff, then I'm pretty sure the first one was Rollins. Oh. Because Rollins at WrestleMania, you know, comes out with that briefcase during the Roman Brock match and, and steals it. So We talked about this. I could be wrong, but I think the only... NXT champions to have gone on to become world champions are Rollins and Owens. And Big Whoa. E. Rollins, Owens, yeah. and Yeah, Rollins, Owens, and Big E. Well, Balor did it for that one night. Yes. Oh. Yeah, they yes. had that match with remember. Rollins. I was there for that match. Yeah. Oh. yeah, he did it for that one night and then he had to give it up the next day because he got hurt. Oh, so, I'm so sorry. I forgot that one. Yeah, but I think, sorry, I think aside, aside from, from... Oh, and, and also Drew. Count Drew. Drew is, oh, a, yeah. Drew is an extra champion. Yeah, yeah, oh, see, yeah, because the timing on that is so odd. It's very weird. I always weird. had a hard time remembering Drew as an NXT champion because he started off on the main roster, mm -hmm. left, and came back. But I think I think that's the whole list, though. That's five people. That's, yeah. That's all right. That's bigger. So there's a retrospective on yes. shit between Charlotte and Sasha. I almost breezed past it. I was almost like, yep, retrospective is great. I was curious, though... Because this retrospective, I had a moment of going like, wait a second, this is being treated as extremely legitimate, meaningful, and relevant, not just mm -hmm. to them, but to the entire product, frankly. Right. And then went, mm, is that different? Mm? <laughs> Can either of you speak to this? Because I was like, I mean, look, I experience NXT as a podcast as much as right. I experience it as a product. So my perspective of it is extremely bizarre. Blah, was this like, holy shit, they're treating the women's title like it means a goddamn thing. It was starting to get there, wasn't it? Sasha yeah. and Charlotte and Becky and Bailey. I mean, there were other great women's wrestlers there at the time, but those four especially at this time, I think, really started to make clear that this was a different thing, I felt like, at the time. Okay. That's true. I do think that WWE is so good at the production mm. side of things that they're very skilled at you put together this video package and you make the last however many weeks of television storyline seem like they put more effort into it than they actually uh... did. I do think that like as we've gone through it, the Sasha Charlotte program was kind of weirdly told in a lot of ways because mm -hmm. it, it involved Bailey so heavily. Yes. It seemed like Sasha was feuding with Bailey and then all of a sudden Sasha yeah. was feuding with Charlotte and it, it was weirdly framed. I think what you're seeing with that video package is sort of an attempt to recontextualize that. Uh -oh. And because they, they clearly want you to think of this 
as like a Charlotte Sasha feud. And then the match that happens, this match at our evolution, there have been other NXT women's championship matches, as we have previously covered, that were very much like, hey, look at what NXT is doing with the women's division. But I think this match in particular, this match is one of those big milestones where it's like, oh, oh, NXT is letting them fucking go. Yeah. Certainly for me, as someone who at the time was dabbling in NXT, you know, but hadn't like fully, fully committed yet. Our evolution was the moment where I did fully commit. And part of that, a big part of that was, holy shit, that Charlotte Sasha match. Because Sasha is about to become my favorite wrestler for the next like several years, if not still. So this was a big part of that. So I feel like what you're seeing here is we're going into 2015 now. And 2015 is the year where women's wrestling becomes the focal point in NXT. Oh. So while I agree with you that the video package presents it in a little mm. bit of a WWE revisionist history kind of way, <laughs> I think it's indicative of where we're going okay. in as much as it's indicative as where we've been. It was fascinating because Corey, I think it was Corey at one point, said something like, these two are future divas. <gasps> Yeah, And it was jarring to me. And it was fascinating. It was jarring to have them described. I was like, no, they're not. They're not. They're not. Not really. <laughs> they're, they're future women's wrestlers. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much, Corey. So the entrances for both are, you know, they're pretty big. The crowd are into it in a way that I was almost taken aback by. Because they've also had like all these other matches. But I do want to say, if it is a duel of theme songs, I am picking Sasha's over 2001 I mean, a space rave any goddamn come on day now. come on now sasha's entrance music is maybe it's maybe the best entrance music i mean zane's is really good but sasha's sasha's might be the best i don't know there is chanting for sasha right from the start i was damn happy to hear it sasha is also doing a spite garment Mm-hmm. wearing yep, Charlotte's she shirt that she's altered because Charlotte's shirt says if you're gonna do it do it with flair to do it with flares on the back and then Sasha said you know if you're gonna do it and then changed it you know if you're gonna do it do it like a boss and I'm like yeah spike clothing match starts because credibility is everything it's all the mat wrestling and then when Sasha takes over completely the crowd is uniformly on her side for a minute I was like oh oh yeah. Especially after all this terrible chanting that I've been like angry about. So Which I feel like they try to get started a couple of times, but the crowd this is one of those matches where the crowd completely shuts them down. Yeah. Which I love. I also want to say, I just Corey Graves. Corey Graves. I know you're probably a fuckboy in real life. You certainly play <laughs> one on television. He put over Sasha for reels, and I was like so happy to hear it because it says Charlotte may have been born in this business, but Sasha was born to do it. And I was like, yes, yes, she was. Thank you. There's a key moment when Sasha gets Charlotte down on her ass in the middle of the ring, bounces off the ropes and slowly does the Ric Flair walk towards Mm -hmm. Charlotte, licks her hand and goes for a huge slap. I was like, that's the hottest thing a woman has ever done. (laughs) Like nothing has been hotter. I literally just realized the second that I have a type. Yeah. When it comes to wrestlers, because my favorite wrestlers are the ones who are heels, and when they're heels, just endlessly mock whoever they're whoever they're fighting in the ring. That's Kevin. That's Kevin. Oh my god! This is where we find out Miles has a shame kink. <laughs> Look, I don't want to wrestle. Is it weird that I want to watch? No, no. That's that's also a shame. No, that you're you're allowed in the community. You're welcome here, sir. 
Charlotte is not into the shanking thing, turns it into a quick roll up. Uh, they go back and forth. Sasha leaps into this backstabber, holding onto Charlotte's arm. So she's doing the eat her elbows thing. Charlotte's on her knees, bent backwards over Sasha's knees. Brutal, fucking brutal. Amazing. Incredible. It, I know. It was so good. Sasha locks Charlotte in a hold and does a few of the most casual and indifferent. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's your little thing, isn't it? That's that cute little thing that you and your family do. Oh, my fucking God. It was so bitchy. I loved it. Charlotte gets Sasha up into what I guess is called an electric chair, which is a weird name for it, because just sitting on someone's shoulders and then falling backward with them, which I'm like, as far as I'm aware, that's not how that device works. But I'm not a scientist. (laughs) It seems like. Like Charlotte's going to be in control, but after Charlotte ends up on the outside and it just eats this jump through the ropes courtesy of Sasha, which I think that was our first jump through the ropes that we've ever seen in the women's division. From women. Yeah, I believe you're correct. That was the first like suicide dive. From yeah. Women's division. And then at that moment, I was like, oh, Charlotte's title reign. could. That's, this is serious now. Charlotte does her moonsault, lands on her feet, though, because Sasha moves out of the way. But Charlotte goes straight from that into this front flip to pin Sasha, because that's how fucking quick she is. And Sasha gets a foot on the ropes, but, you know, the match ends because Sasha Banks can't resist a turnbuckle. Turnbuckle. Mm, Turnbuckle. Turnbuckle? Yeah. There you go. Mm. So she gets Charlotte, you know, over there, slams her face first in the corner, but Charlotte gets up on the top corner and drags Sasha into place to execute natural selection on her from off the top and pin her to retain the title. Now, I am going to reveal a thing that perhaps is a sign of my growth, unfortunately, and the fact that I'm no no longer the adorable little know-nothing guileless baby that I... Yeah, I know! This match is different. This match, it has periods of time in which the heel or face are in control, but the quote-unquote dominance of either of them is so much more contentious than it often is, I think, in the men's matches in NXT. Like, control is a lot more precarious and hard fought, which Mm. makes it feel like each move then means so much more in the scope of the match than it does in the men's matches. Because you're like, oh, this is on a fucking, like, knife's edge at all fucking times. And I have gone on record to say that I usually like men's wrestling more because it's often dumber. You know, shrug. (laughs) Right. But my caveat to that is if you're not going to give me dumb comedy shit, the only kind of like legitimate serious wrestling that I really want to see a lot of the times is this. And this was fucking yummy good. And I liked it. You mean like wrestling where the intentionality is like really front and center and sort of you're able to lose yourself in that aspect of it? Or like what specifically? I want it to feel like the match could go either direction at any time. Okay. I don't love it whenever it's like, oh, so-and-so is in control. Now so-and-so is in control. I want it to feel like, okay, yeah, we can have a brief period where somebody's in control, but then I want it to feel like, no, no, no. Everything is on the line every fucking second. I totally get that. In the traditional wrestling formula, there are times when you know you can look away. Yes. It's one of the reasons why wrestling works so well as background noise is yeah. because there's moments where you're just we're like, okay. We're not at the comeback yet. So. We're not at the comeback yet. Exactly. So you don't have to pay as much attention until then. Yes. And I understand that and respect that about your wrestling viewership, Bob. This one, I was like, oh, I can't look away. This. Yes. Can, this exactly. is very taut. 
Sasha and, is a real force for chaos uh, in wrestling. She's just like that. Uh, guess what? If you want people to pay attention to women's wrestling and like the American fandom, you can't let them look away. That's true. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah, the no such thing as rest holds in a women's match, which I yeah. I mean, I am sad for women's wrestling that you can't have rest holds because they fucking deserve rest holds. Yeah. But yes. at, yeah. at the same time, yeah, just <laughs> women fucking in general just deserve some goddamn rest in this world. Bring that sign of the protest. Women deserve rest holds. But really, my larger argument is fucking take rest holds away from men's wrestling. Right. I don't want them. Get them out. I know. I know. They're human beings. Like, I know. I get it. But also, fuck off with your wrestling. Miles and I would have to disagree with one thing on that, which is oh, that's yes? why Kevin Owens yells some of his best random oh, one-liners. Oh, right. right. That, that's, that's why you can't, can't look away from him, him because, because he's constantly true, doing things. he's going to say something hilarious yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Or, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a rest hold. It's, no, it's not. It's a talk shit hold. It's a talk shit hold, and then occasionally it turns into blowing snot on you hold, and that's just a whole other thing. <laughs> or biting. It does oh. Or biting, yeah, totally. Man, yeah. he's just moving up the list, this man. <laughs> All right. So, retrospective on the Zane Neville feud. Is it a feud if it's one-sided? Seems a little one-sided, <laughs> which is kind of like the sexiest part about this whole thing is that like- It's a storyline. Am I in a feud with Sammy? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah. Which God. I love that, Miles, it's an anime. This is anime. Like this okay. is- all right. Oh, I hate you so much and I want- Why are you like this? And the other person going, what? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, can, why can't Senpai notice me and also fight me? You're like, oh, this is amazing. But we also need to talk just for a second about the fact that the shots that they use in the retrospective, it's often shots where it is clear that there's affection and love for Sammy from Neville. And it's clear in every moment that Neville is, I know, I know, quote unquote, the, like, you know, somewhat of an arrogant heel, but it's not really like he's just trying to be honest as he sees yep. it from his perspective and not even like cruel honest because he says, it's hard to sit back and watch your friend fail, which is like, he says it, and that is an arrogant statement, but he does not say it with any arrogance. He's like, no, I don't like it. I don't enjoy this. I want myth. I want to say, like, just give space to you to talk about your experience, like, the lead up to this. Because whenever Sammy cracks and slaps Neville, oh and like, God. tell me everything. That promo got me, I mean, so intense. I was terrified. Looking back now, it seems bizarre, but I know after that promo, I was terrified he was going to turn heel. <gasps> I was like, he's yeah. going to turn heel, he's going to turn. And my husband, who again, no, obviously just knows these tropes better, was like, no, don't worry about it. He's just being intense. He's intense. <laughs> I'm like, but the thing that really got me is after the slap, he like grabs his own hair. Yeah. And pulls on it with this sort of, I'm just so angry and I can't hate Neville because he's just saying, like you said, what he thinks is true. And I just, I hate Neville and I hate myself and I hate the world. And, just, <sighs> and he's so mad about all of it. I was, oh my God, so into it. My heart breaking for this guy. It's interesting as well, because the, the bits that I've been able to like, as safely as I can pluck from... AO3 to go like, is this, can I read this? There is some Zane Neville stuff, but I think all of it comes after this. Like, I don't think there's any that predates this. And it makes total sense. I think 
Sammy and Cesaro kind of suffocated Sammy Neville for a while. Mm. Oh, you know what? That I makes that's sense. totally fair. Although there's not that much of that either. Like there's a sorrowful dearth, frankly. There's tension there though. I did read one that I was assured by the author sort of was like, it was a five plus one. I'm not gonna tell you what it was about. That one gave me some hints as to like, oh, there is shit here. And there will be shit here in the future. And I am interested in it. But it's like, there is magic here. And I'm like, mm, yum, yum, yum. I think all the time about how like, because I feel like there's people in AEW, for example, who have talked about how like, oh, well, you know, our company doesn't have heels and, and baby faces. We just have characters. And I think that's weirdly counterproductive in a way, because like, you can't always do that. Like, you, you need the, the heel babyface framework sometimes because not everybody can portray a fully fleshed out, fully realized character and then find another person who's doing that and then build a storyline off the interactions between them. Like, to a certain extent, you need, like, a foundation of the basics to make wrestling work. But, man, when you can do it. Yeah. When you get two people who just, like... Because they're not... If, who cares? Who cares if they're heels, baby faces? What they are is this person and this person yeah. interacting with each other. And there's conflict there because of who they are and the tension between them. Yeah. And that it's is incredibly organic. Yeah. Yes. And that's where wrestling really shines when you can do that. So this is our main event. And Sammy gets the entrance of beloved hometown hero. <laughs> Neville gets the entrance of someone that is respected, but disliked. It's lots of booing. He's also got briefs on that make his ass look like a pokeball. There is a chant about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to note that of all the matches, this is the one in which there's no question of who people want to have win. There is no ambivalence. Never a doubt. There is also a faint match of year chant before the match starts. <laughs> we have some clairvoyance in the house, I see. <laughs> yeah, like there's five precogs sitting together. Yeah. And I'm Miles, like, you, we're going to invent time travel and go back and watch this <laughs> Apparently. match. We're going to start that chant. I'm down. I look Let's forward do to this. Let's do it. So I am going to cover, you know, highlights, but I think it's really important to say that me just describing this match is it's so fucking inadequate to the match because the nuances of the body language and the way in which the moves are a conversation is just not really something I can capture. And also a lot of what happens is what happens between the moves. So mm -hmm. I'm doing mm -hmm. the best I can. Do it. So we start with some chain wrestling. It's hold for hold establishes that Sammy is putting his all out there and that Neville is prepared and taking Sammy seriously. The fucking bit, the one where Sammy tries to has like a wrist lock and tries to throw him down and Neville just flips and lands on his feet and gives him that fucking look. Like, and he, I think he does the finger wag. Yeah, he does the no, no, no. Yeah, oh, oh. Myth, you're the Zane scholar. I want to ask you about this. Sammy is, you know, as we talked about on this show, often like all heart, baby. But he starts this match with this level of intentionality in his movements. And I was going, wow. That it seems like very specific to the situation. What do you see about the way he opens this match? Does this look like, oh, this is like he always is? Or is this like specific? Some of it, I noticed that too. The match starts very slow and very thoughtful. And some of that I think is a non-storyline. We have to let the audience... Mm calm down just a little bit okay, okay. from charlotte sasha the, yeah and from just the pop the entrance yeah starting yeah mm -hmm. i also feel like i noticed that this time sammy takes a long time to look at the audience and mm. kind of soak them in and now watching that i was like oh 
he's deliberately trying to get them doing that. He's saying goodbye to us because he knows he might lose and Mm -hmm. then he'll be gone from NXT. So he's taking a moment to really drink us in because he's going to be gone. So I think some of that is trying to get the audience unsure what's going to happen. I was very unsure at the time because I didn't understand the rhythms of NXT so much. And I know looking back at it now, it seems quite clear that Sammy surely is going to win. But I think he's trying to create as much doubt as possible. I remember thinking that I was pretty sure Sammy was going to win. But unlike your husband, I was also worried that he was going to turn heel. And that really plays into how the match plays out. I think at the beginning, it's interesting because... We've talked about the standard wrestling formula. We talk about it a lot. And usually what you do is at the beginning of the match is you shine the face, right? So you, the, the baby face gets some time to look really good. And that doesn't happen in this match. Every time Sammy tries to just kind of do that, Neville shuts him down because... He doesn't the, get to be all razzle-dazzle early on. Right. Yes. You have to establish that, like, this guy's fucking got him. Like, this is... It makes Adrian Neville look like such a killer and look like such an, an unbeatable boss, you know? To be fair, I think my my husband was trying to prevent me from having a nervous breakdown. (laughs) I think it was actually extremely well done and foreshadowed that he could turn heel. My husband was not, I think, being a wrestling savant so much as being like, I cannot live with this person for another week if there's that much fear of Sammy turning heel. Sometimes, and I know this will come to many as a shock, but sometimes you do have to take off your wrestling fan hat and put on your good spouse hat, (laughs) as I've learned. So Sammy does the butt bounce that we often see him do, but I do want to say that this butt bounce seems calculated rather than reactive. It's the most measured I've ever seen him do it, because normally it's like, loosey-goosey. Neville is struggling a little bit, and there's a lot of close-ups on his face as he's realizing that maybe he isn't wrestling the Sami Zayn that he thought he'd be wrestling. Neville slows the pace way down, and he's trying to wear Sammy down. And I also caught Neville, and he does it quite a bit, actually, doing something that we have never seen Neville do before. He checks with the ref to see if it was a three-count or a two-count. Yep. That's not who we've ever seen Neville be. This is not thrilling in terms of them trading off moves to get one another on the back foot, but it is thrilling because in the space between the moves, this is where like all this shit is going down. They do a spot where Neville backflips onto Zane's shoulders, like not knowing that he's going to end up on Zane's shoulders, obviously. And then Sammy transitions it into that blue thunderbomb. And it feels like at that moment, something really changes in Neville. The match speeds up and Neville is throwing things at Zane with a kind of raggedness that we don't see that from him. And every kick out from Zane is just chipping away at the calm that we're so used to seeing in Neville. The first time Zane goes for the big boot, like it's clear, okay, this has got to be endgame territory now. Sammy's going for the finisher. And they both know it. So Neville does the red arrow, but Zane gets the knees up and transitions into the Koji clutch, that submission, like the sexy knees. And Neville gets to the ropes and the ref is partially taken out when Zane kicks out of the pin attempt and sends Neville careening into the ref or head bump. It's not enough to stop Neville from doing that beautiful, rare, special, sacred poison Rana. It's the backflip mm. dragging your opponent to the mat. It's circusy. It's deadly. It's fantastic. I want to see it all the time, but I also want to see it never because it's so beautiful. 
Well, that's after Zane checks on the ref, right? So yes, the ref goes down and then and Zane and like checks Neville's on down him and gets distracted. Yeah, it gets uh. distracted and Neville hits the poison rod, and you can just hear. I you can hear the crowd. Zane very exaggerated, like. Should I be a good person and check on the ref? And the crowd's like, no, don't, don't kill and check the, on the ref, damn it. <laughs> and he does. The crowd's like, oh, no. <laughs> and then Zane kicks out of that. Neville is truly shaken. We have commented on the show that a lot of times you get that close up of the wrestler's face after a kick out and they're doing the, oh, my God, what? How? Mm-hmm. We have never seen that from Neville until this match in all of the stuff for the coverage that we've ever had. He's, we've never seen, he just doesn't fucking react. He doesn't have time. This is the first time I've ever seen him shake his head and say, no, this is the first time I've ever seen him do that in any match that he's ever done at any promotion ever. (laughs) And we see Zane do the leap through the corner ropes and turn it into a DDT. And he follows it up with Mm -hmm. the Haluva kick. But when the ref is downed again, maybe because Neville pulled him in the way, probably. It's it's a little vague, it isn't is. it? He kind of tugs him a little bit. Now, you know, the ref's out of the picture is just Zane and Neville. And Neville brings in the belt, probably intending to hit Zane. But we don't find out because Zane reacts first and downs Neville. But the belt, the belt's just lying there. And Zane picks it up. And it's such a fucking tenuous moment. The crowd is terrified he's going to do it. Myth, tell me everything. Tell me everything about about what this moment is, about Sami Zayn, what this moment was for you watching it. Oh, it's so terrifying, isn't it? And Full Sail is a weird audience. Yes. And they sometimes have a lot of flaws because they're the same people all the time. So they get into weird habits but my God, do they not want Sami Zayn to use that title? And I love them for it. Yeah. Some other audiences would have been like, yeah, clobber him. We want you to win. But the full sale audience is 100% there with Sami. They want him to win clean. They want him to win babyface. And it's so beautiful, you know? It is. I'm I'm pulling a muscle with how vigorously I'm nodding right now. It's my favorite thing about the match is that moment. He picks up the title. There's a great shot. They have a great angle on it. And it's the fucking, it's Lord of the Rings. It's the fucking one ring. There it it is. is. He's going to pick it up. And the crowd starts doing the Daniel Bryan no chant. They start going, no, no. Almost all of them. All of them. With no hesitation. They would rather he lose. (laughs) We would rather we lose you. That you leave this company than that you aren't who we love. Yes. And I couldn't agree with you more, Myth. Who knows what might have happened with a different crowd. But because it's the full sale crowd who have been here through this entire story, they're just like, they know what to do. They know how to engage with it. They don't want Sammy to win like that. And I struggle to think of another example of that in pro wrestling that I've seen. And the moment, like, resolves... With Neville capitalizing on Zane, putting the belt aside, and trying to roll Zane up quickly. Yeah, because he doesn't do it. it. Zane doesn't do it, is the thing. Zane explodes out of that pin that Neville, you know, tried to sneak in on him. Just rage all over his face. And it's the moment that decides it. And the end just feels like it's already written. Exploder suplex, haluva kick, pin, 
Zane is the champion. And so it is. Yeah. I have to say stuff is the phenomenal baby baby here. And I want to say them before I get to hear about this from you guys who've like lived with this match. This is for me, this is fucking surreal. Because I have met Sammy Zane around August of 2019. And it's now July of 2022 for me as we record this. And the person that I met when I watched that first episode in 2019, that is not the same person who won this championship. And then there's like, there's questions hanging over it, all of this, because like, oh, what does the Zane championship run look like? Can Sammy keep this up? Like, what does this mean about Neville? What does this mean about NXT? Because I mean, for all this time, it's been an underdog story. It's like, well, now the underdog is one. What does that mean? Neville stands up and everyone in the ring like backs off to see what will happen when, you know, these two sort of interact. And Zane extends a hand like Neville did many matches ago. And Neville looks at him with just disgust and kicks Zane's hand away. And then he pulls him into his arms and hugs him just the way that Zane did to Neville back whenever Sammy kicked away Neville's hand. And Zane looks at the crowd and the crowd is, and I don't think it's weird to say this, they're like in love and they've been in love with him forever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Zane finally gets that moment that happens in, in romance novels where one of the protagonists realizes, oh, I do deserve all this love that I'm being given. And it is not a small thing. And I also want to say, Myth, maybe you can speak to this, but it feels like there is an element of shoot here, like unintentionally, but love's weird like that. You don't necessarily show up intending to reveal the depth of your love or like how wholly your heart lives in a thing. But it feels vulnerable to see Zayn like this. Like, it feels vulnerable to see Zayn holding that championship. And it does feel like a love story. And it's so weird because I didn't know it was going to be my love story, too. But it is my love story, too. And I didn't know that it was a love story when it started. Like, I got into this not knowing that I was in a love story. I thought this was just like, you know, casual friends thing. But here I am going, oh, like maybe nobody knows that whenever they get into wrestling. But let us wrap this up and say that speaking of love stories, very, very long love stories that are complex and multi-layered and probably mm -hmm. more than this podcast could probably, properly ever cover. Kevin Owens does come out and holds Sammy, you know, stitches across bleeds on him, stitches on his nose, gives this love to his best friend he's been with for so long. You know, it's beautiful. These two boys from the Indies who fucking made it. They walk up the ramp together. Kevin turns and just slams Sammy back first onto the ramp and power bombs him against the apron ring, very visibly against the apron, like mm -hmm. the edge of that fucking thing. Zane crumples to the floor. Owen's shaking with suppressed rage and he leaves. Regal and medical personnel come out to check on Zane. And it's still a love story. And it's not even a love story, like necessarily between Sammy and Owens. It's like a love story about what wrestling is. Because this is the first time yeah. I've gotten to see a whole thing. The whole yeah. fucking thing. And I went, oh, like... This was for us 
as much as Sammy winning was for us. Like the unspoken thing that hangs over the whole medium is you came here to fall in love and you came here to get your heart broken and you came here to fall in love again. And the promise is you'll always get it. You're never not going to get it. And so even in that moment of like, oh my God, I got... I got all of this love. I, I fall in love. I, this is my happily ever after. You're like, but that can't be it. Then it's over. And then they break your heart. And then you get to do the whole thing again. And right. now, like, I guess this begins the part where we fall in love all over again with whoever these people are going to be now and where they are now and where they're going to take us. So... That ends the breakdown. Miles, you often ask me what I thought of it overall. Like so many wrestling things, I didn't care about everything or I didn't care about everything equally. But the thing that everyone knew about the show that was crucial, like everyone else, I lived this whole podcast. Yeah. (laughs) From the perspective of you would tell people what was happening and they would go, oh, 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 yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I finally get to know, I finally know, like for realsies, why the NXT wrestling fan is the way that it is and why you did it the way you did it. Yep. And you know what? Is it? (laughs) Having gone through it, having written all that shit, having, you know, watched (laughs) and rewatched, having written all the fanfics, all the things, Miles, it was worth it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It was so unbelievably, completely, wholly worth it to come to this place. And I want to say exactly the way I arrived here. I am glad it happened this way. I'm so glad. (laughs) I'm immensely moved by that. That is wonderful. And I don't know how many spoilers are in it, but you have echoed some of the same things I said in my essay yeah, about yeah. this match. And so I'm just <gasps> like, oh my God. Bob honestly, Bob, honestly Bob, Bob, you know what? I don't even care. You should go read this stuff. I don't even care if there's spoilers. There won't be that many spoilers. And I'll forget anyway. They'll forget anyway. This is just, I think at this point, now that you've seen the Owens turn, I think it's okay. I th- and I think you should go in and devour all of that because yes. I think everybody should. Yum, 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 yum. I'm excited. I have so many feelings about what you've said and everything else, but I think we should, I think there's a proper place to express those feelings along with other senses. And I think that place is in the sight, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. So Megan, Bob, (gasps) For this episode, what did your elf eyes see? There was a lot to see. There was. Yeah. There was a moment that this is a comedy moment. I don't care. <laughs> Finn does his entrance. Fucking striking as shit. Everybody's going. <gasps> and so the lights go back to normal. Cut to the ascension going. What in the goddamn fuck is this? <laughs> and I was like, yes, this Connor, I could fucking kiss you. This is fucking perfect. Oh, oh, tremendous. No notes. 
<laughs> it's the greatest. It's the fucking greatest. I love, like, when I think of this show, I obviously think of Sammy and Kevin and Neville and Charlotte and Sasha and everybody, but, like, if you, like, boil your thoughts about the show down to one image, it would be Connor's face. Yes. Just going, <laughs> when, God, I loved it. What the fuck? <laughs> so good. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Uh, like you said, so many things, but I have to mention something that I don't think you got to in your breakdown, Bob, mm-hmm. which is that at one point over the course of the episode, before the main event, there's a little shot of Sammy backstage. He's in the locker room. Yeah, Beth is making all the faces now because they know what I'm talking about. There's one shot of Sammy in the locker room and he's sitting there, he's getting ready, he's like wrapping his fist or whatever, and the camera pans over <gasps> and Kevin's there. That's the first time they're ever on WWE TV together. It's the first time they've been seen in the same room since their last match in PWG. And Kevin's not looking at him. And then he just looks up for a second. And the commentary is talking about something else. Like, it's not even like, it's not even the focus of anything. Kevin just looks up and he looks at him and they look at each other for a second. And it just contains fucking multitudes. It does. It felt like a romance beat to me. I was like, oh. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. Myth, what did your elf eyes see? What I saw this time around is after Sammy wins, everyone, not everyone, all the baby faces come down to the ring to celebrate. And the first thing I see is that Enzo and Cass are on their way and Kevin basically shoves them out of the way to make (laughs) sure he goes to the ring first. (laughs) But all of the baby faces come to the ring. All of the baby faces are milling around. And in the middle of that group, you see Tyler Breeze has come to the ring as well. <laughs> oh my God. Tyler Breeze is not in any way a baby face. <laughs> I find that so adorable. I can only assume that the real person was yeah. just so happy for Sammy that he just wanted to come down to the Aww. ring because there's no reason for him to be there. When I was writing the pop quiz for the last episode, I was writing that neither Breeze nor Kid on the appear on the episode. And That's I was thinking. Right, they do. And I was thinking, maybe I should go back and check, because I feel like I saw Breeze during that celebration. And I was like, nah, that's only baby faces. I don't need to go back. It's only baby faces. I don't, <laughs> it's fine. He's there. Yeah. I, will I will not ask for a quarter of a point or whatever. <laughs> All right, Bob. What did your Vulcan ears hear? The weirdest goddamn thing. This is also from the Balor entrance. You know, it's already happened. And then there's sort of the match has started. And a commentary is still kind of processing. What does this mean mm-hmm. that this monster man is wrestling? Uh, Corey Graves says, in every man, there's a little doorway down a dark hallway where they never go. If you can figure out how to tap into that creatively, etc. And I just was like, the fuck? <laughs> there's a little doorway down a dark hallway where they never go. And I'm like, and you think that's what's in there? I don't think you... I, <laughs> Corey Graves, I think you're fucking lying. (laughs) But also it makes me want to just ask random people. So What's down your dog hallway? Yeah, I know. Look, you're a person. You've lived a life. You've got a little doorway down a dark hallway where you never go. This is an icebreaker question. I just want to know what's behind the doorway. It's one of those fucking awful, like, social media games where it just, like, randomly gives you, like, an image and you don't have any say over it. And it's like, (laughs) behind your hallway is a seal. It's like, what? (laughs) Share this on Facebook. Oh, my God. Like and subscribe. All right. (laughs) Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? So I, I just wanted to talk about Graves for a second because 
it's weird looking back at this period when Graves gets on NXT commentary because I remember, and Myth, I don't know how you felt about this, but I remember listening to Graves do commentary and thinking he was great. He's not bad. Like, I, I think that going forward, I'll have a lot of appreciation for him still because I feel like he doesn't get bad until he goes to the main roster oh. and has a certain as somebody yelping in his ear all seventy-five year old man yelling in his ear because he doesn't have any touch with reality anymore. But I just remember being like, man, like Graves, he's like such a great commentator. I loved him on commentary, and I like I said before, I didn't recall Riley being on the show at all. Yeah, but I also want to say Riley has that one moment. Of, like, really shining analysis <gasps> in the Sammy Neville match. And I wish I had gone through, I wish I had had time to go through and write it down because I don't have the quote in front of me. But Graves is on commentary and Graves is, like, getting the story wrong. Riley comes in and he's like, no, actually, these are the characters, these are the interactions, this is where the conflict lies. And I was like, wow, good job, Alex. Yeah. Not the first well, that's time I've been. That's not a phrase you're going to say too often. <laughs> yeah. I always want to give him those bones when I find them because he's. Really, I don't like him on commentary so much at the time, but there are times when I have to, like, acknowledge him for doing a good job. Myth, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Okay. This is not so much what I heard as what I did not hear. No? And I have to tell you, this has upset me a great deal. Okay. About five years ago, I decided I needed a copy of Neville and Sammy's match to have with me at all times. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. One does. Because you never know when you're going to need to gift something and you don't have access to the network. Mm -hmm. So I recorded it. So I had a copy of it. And whenever I watched the match, which is often, I would watch it from that copy. However, I didn't have the whole show. So when I sat down to watch the show for this podcast, I watched it on the network. Now I will tell you, the copy that I have from five years ago, at the end... <gasps> As Sammy picks up the title, he looks at Neville and he says, all right, motherfucker. <gasps> I remember this. And they bleep it. Oh. And then he pauses over Neville with Belt and he says, no, fuck that. And then he looks up, looks into the camera and goes, fuck that. Wow. Really clearly. And they bleep it. And when I sat down to rewatch it on the network. It wasn't there. It wasn't there. Oh! They cut it. Oh! So that you cannot even see his mouth. I had a fucking feeling when we were watching it. Bob and I watched the show together this time. And I had a feeling when we were watching it, I was like, there's something that's not here. Oh. I couldn't remember what it was. But you're right. The reason this is really important, part of it is because I just love that Sammy swears. Yes! <laughs> Because everybody is like, he is our soft, small cinnamon roll. Yes. And like, he is, but he is a soft, small cinnamon roll that swears like a sailor. Yes. <laughs> but more importantly, you'll notice Bob kind of skipped over the fact that Sammy chooses not to hit Neville with the belt. Mm -hmm. Because in the original, when he stops and goes, no, fuck that. It's really important that we see him say, no, fuck all of this idea oh. that I have to give up my morals to win. Fuck that. <gasps> I will. That, yeah. that moment is not as strong. That's what I heard. You're absolutely right about that. And I'm so glad you pointed that out. And now I have to find a copy of the original yes. Master Show. Bob. I think it might There's be. There's one on like streamable. 
Is, is there? there? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I might also to. have a Bob. I might also have a, an older DVD set okay, okay. that contains this match and that might have been on there. It might have made it on the DVD uncut. Okay. So and I know there's yeah. no. I'm sure it's a Peacock thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I probably. Was, I was like walking around the house, tearing my hair, going, "Is there anyone I can talk to about how important it is?" No, then well, I. You, you can talk to us. I care about this. This is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't I know did my, with somebody at my, my history had been revised. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. That's a great point. Okay, well now, now I feel weirdly incomplete, but we'll do it, Bob. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get you access to the full version. <laughs> Release, Release the fuck, the fuck cut. cut. Yeah. <laughs> say fuck it is oh my god i know this is crucial <laughs> all right megan bob what does your human heart feel <sighs> me like i felt me because i felt my journey through all of this because i've been with Sami Zayn. like that's where i started and then here i am here watching this and i was like oh i get it i thought i got it i thought i got it you know at various points and I'm sure there will come a later date whenever I go, oh, now I get it. And I'll keep doing that forever. But this was a moment of going, oh, that's the thing it is. This match was everything, but I felt the totality of my experience to get to the match as I was watching the match. So I don't know. I felt however many years of podcast and however many everythings, I felt all of it. It was extraordinary. As we record this, Bob, we are, I think, 12 or 13 days away from our third anniversary in terms of when we released the first episode. Holy shit. So three years of totality. Absolutely. Miles, what did your human heart feel? This is the thing you, you wanted to like get here for. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been trying to figure out exactly why this show is so important to me, and I think I've got it. And it's, it's actually encapsulated in a really specific moment from the celebration. So what happens at the end of the show is that Sammy wins the title. The locker room, the baby faces, as you said, empties out to congratulate him. They get him on the shoulders. But before any of that happens, so the locker room comes out and you can see that Kevin wasn't originally at the front of the line, right? He's in the back. But he goes faster than anyone. Like you said, he shoves Enzo and Cass out of the way. He is the first one to jump on the ring apron. And Sammy sees him and he backs up. He backs up just a little bit because he knows what's coming. (laughs) Some part of him knows. Some part of him knows. And I mentioned earlier how, as a fan, I was really worried that these two ships were going to pass in the night, so to speak. And it would have been such a shame to have these two in the same place at the same time with WWE's production values and a whole new stage to tell a whole new story on and to just have them skip each other. And I knew they were going to do it. It was such a shame. And the reason that this show means so much to me is because they hug, Kevin bleeds on him, the celebration breaks up, Sammy celebrates, Kevin comes back out to celebrate with him some more, and then the betrayal happens. And what that betrayal and that moment from Sammy where he backs up, what that told me was, that was a message from NXT to me personally. This and what it's you, Miles. And what it said was, "This is for you." It ah. said, "It said, hey, you know that stuff that you like, that wrestling you like. We know you like that. And guess what? We're gonna give you the thing. We know that you are aware of this history. We're gonna use it. We're gonna build on it. We're gonna tell the next chapter of We're a story that, that began somewhere else. We're gonna take it seriously. Not wrestling. 
the concept of wrestling because I hate it when people take the concept of wrestling oh, yeah, seriously. No, please don't. But do we're going to take the story seriously and the characters seriously, and your investment in these people is going to matter to us. We care about that. And what that said to me is, this is your show. And I did not miss an episode of NXT Weekly Television after this until the pandemic, because this is the moment where NXT became my show. Because that was for me. And that's that's amazing because that's Kevin's thing. Yeah. That Kevin has experienced all of his character development and he brings it with him all the time Mm -hmm. is his strength. I agree. Yeah. Myth, what did your human heart feel? My heart felt everything as well, but it felt every single one of the 376 seconds of friendship (laughs) that we got between Kevin and Sammy. Uh I've timed it. It is six minutes and 16 seconds between that first (laughs) hug and when he throws him to the ramp. Oh my God. It is amazing how much history and emotion they pack into that six minutes. Again, I knew they were friends, I guess. Right. I had no idea, but you could, in the way Sammy steps backwards, in the hesitation in that moment, just they pack it of history like you feel like they summarize 10 years of work emotionally obviously not in terms of right it's incredible it is it is amazing there's a moment where when they lift sammy up on their shoulders kevin has retreated to the back Mm -hmm. and he's he's trying to keep himself from he's got a tissue and he's trying to keep his nose from bleeding too much but sammy looks over at him and he lifts up the title and points from Kevin to the title back and forth, saying basically, here we are. We're mm-hmm. here. We're both here, finally. And it's yeah. just, it's amazing. It's fucking beautiful. All right. Well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling, as you no doubt know by now. We're going to move on here. And one thing that we definitely have to do is award one or more lucky competitors. Very curious to see how many people get the award this time around. We need to present... The Lawrence Bolivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. So, Megan Bob, who gets your Lawrence Bolivier Award for this episode? I'm giving it to Neville. Okay. Neville, he put Sammy's win over mm-hmm. in such a way that was so important that, I mean, I would have cared about Sami Zayn wrestling a bag of potato chips. But like, I wouldn't have felt it if he Mm -hmm. won the title that way. But I felt it because Neville slowly unraveled and Neville pushed Sammy to places that made me see a different Sammy. I know how acting works enough to know you can't go there on your own necessarily. Like you're somebody has to take you there so you can go there. And Neville made that possible. And like Neville gave me the gift of this version of Sami Zayn. And like, I can't not reward Neville for all the work that he did to make that happen. That fucking final moment where he, the rejection of the handshake with the kick oh, that mirrors their, their first match together. Good Lord. 
I know. I Un- Unreal. So good. And again, because I watch Kevin for all of it, the minute he kicks Sammy's hands away, Kevin goes, oh! And he does, you can see him react. He's upset that <gasps> Neville has rejected this friendship. He's relieved. He goes right along with us. That's oh, so funny. Wow. That's incredible. About Neville. It's so good. Miles, who's getting your Boris Olivier? On that note, I know it's only his first night in the company, but I'm giving it to Kevin. I'm not going to give it to him on every subsequent episode of this show that he appears on, but I could because he's just fucking him. He's just him. Commitment to the bit. What bit? Yeah. This is this is Kevin Owens. This is who he is. Yeah. You know what? I get big Eddie Kingston vibes off of Kevin yeah. Owens. I'm just like, absolutely. I know there's kayfabe here, but it's very hard to fucking tell where it is. Some wrestlers are just themselves, and they tend to be really good at being themselves, the version of themselves that they portray. And yeah, he's always going to be Kevin Owens, change his name, whatever. Like, he's going to be Kevin Steed. And Myth, who's getting your Borance Olivier? Obviously, Sammy, Kevin, and Neville are great. Mm-hmm. And I should <gasps> probably, but, but... <laughs> I'm excited. The thing that always kind of catches me in the Bolivier way on this is the thing that Miles mentioned, which is it's Connor's reaction to Finn's entrance, which I think is brilliant. He is completely confused, but also kind of worried. Like, like, okay, we're vampires, but this is fucking weird (laughs) i know we're you know bizarre vampires but this whole thing is kind of creeping me out a little bit and i just i love him for it it happened again when i was re-watching and i was like i love you so much for that reaction it's so good i you know what part of me wants to take it away from neville give it to connor (laughs) but no i'm gonna i'm gonna i gave it i'm not gonna rescind it but Goddamn, you're right. It's oddly poetic and fitting that Sammy doesn't get the award from anybody on this episode. We can't not give it to either Sammy or Neville. I know. I know. You can't always give it to fucking that Sammy Zane character. He's so good. He's so good. We've already given him the award enough. He is. He's, <laughs> he's got a shelf full. Yeah. All right. Well, it's almost time for us to get out of here. I've so enjoyed our time talking to Myth about the yes! show. Yes! The last thing we have to do is play a little game that around here we like to call Guess the Gimmick. All right, hit me. So, Megan, Bob, will you please go to Google Images? Yes, I will. And type in the following three words. Uh, the first word is Jushin, J-U-S-H-I-N. Uh-huh. The second word is Thunder, Beautiful. Which is like the word. And the third word is liger. Okay. L-I-G-E-R. Like the main like the lion tiger. Like, like the, the lion tiger, tiger thing, yes. Okay. Okay. That would be Jushin Thunder Liger. Okay. The, I can't describe this. This man, <laughs> this man is, a, is a tokusatsu character. He's a Power Ranger. He's gotta be. He's got his shoulders bits are so pointy and massive his mask has so many bits coming off of it that seem dangerous but also he has fangs so maybe he's part demon he doesn't always have the giant shoulder 
curve things that are both superhero and supervillain things, but also mostly supervillain. But he's wearing a lot of bright colors. I don't think he's a supervillain. Although the fangs are giving me pause. And he's got <laughs> long hair, but he poses like a Power Ranger. Like he's doing the thumbs up or the like one finger of like, hey kids, remember to floss. <laughs> I think he's just a tokusatsu character turned into a wrestler so he like has adventures but he he fights like a stock footage thing and then the episode is over and then it's the same episode every fucking time and then occasionally there's a single thing of continuity happens all right well myth this was actually your idea to present bob with jushin thunder liger so uh, would you care to explain this man Bob was moderately close. <gasps> yeah. Jushin Thunder Liger is a Japanese wrestler, worked for New Japan until 2020. Oh, shit. And what, through the 80s, and is a complete innovator in the cruiserweight category. Oh. Just revolutionized cruiserweights. An absolute legend. He was considered too small. At first, he went to Mexico and was found basically starving on the streets. Holy shit. By a New Japan guy who was like, my God, kid, if you're this desperate, come back to Japan and we'll give you a job. He did. They said, well, here's a job. There's this anime about a guy who has (gasps) bio armor. And if you're willing to basically put on a mask and a costume and be that guy, okay. He was like, all right. And so wearing that costume, he then just invented a ton of moves, (gasps) did some of the best matches ever. He added to the lore. I mean, the anime finished fairly quickly, Mm -hmm. but he kept going. He added to the lore and ended up deciding that the armor actually was a containment field (gasps) for a demon. And that he is the hero who guards this demon from coming out. Oh my god! And there have been there were three times in his career. If you unmask him, he becomes like an evil killing demon. <gasps> and it happened three times, and only three times in his career, someone unmasked him, and then he went on basically a murder spree. <laughs> and it has to be slowly contained again. Oh my god! And the last one, Suzuki, uh, Minoru Suzuki, unmasked him. Oh, of course well, he fucking did. Yeah, I bet Minoru Suzuki did it on purpose too, because he wanted him to go on a killing <laughs> spree. Absolutely, he actually yes, yes, and ended up defeating him. It was one of Liger's last matches, <gasps> and then just got down on his hands and knees and bowed to him in the ring. Oh. It was amazing, and I was actually there for his <gasps> last match. Holy shit! Wow. Yeah, at that Wrestle Kingdom, he he wrestled Hiromu. Wow. It was so good. Oh, that amazing. man, and his no one, career. Pretty much no one has seen his face wow. since he put that mask on. He never appears without it. He does commentary in it. And that's that a hell of a amazing. mask. That's a commitment. Yeah. Right? One of my happiest wrestling mask memories, strangely, is like the second New Japan show we went to. We were in the second row behind commentary. And it was the show where Shinsuke Nakamura's last show in New Japan, and he was leaving to go to America. And he went to the middle of the ring and was crying, and everyone was crying, and I got to see it all framed through Jushin Thunder <gasps> Liger's horn. Oh my god. 
Incredible. That's amazing. He's fantastic. And he's a, the, he contains career, a demon. That's, I love this. His I career lasted that. from 1984 to 2020. I mean, just an incredible legend in wrestling. And spoiler alert, Bob, we're going to get to meet him <gasps> at one point. He's you actually wrestled uh, El Generico, too. Yeah. Oh. Generico wrestled him. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, generically, they, they both spent time in Japan. Japan. Actually, I think they met up in, of all places, New Jersey. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. For all Jersey wrestling. But they also, I probably didn't know because uh, El Generico never made it to New Japan. Right. So they met up uh, in the States. Wow. Well, Myth, thank you so much for, for that. Thank you so gimmick. much for having thank me. It's always a pleasure to talk endlessly about Sami Zayn and Kevin. Thank you so much. It is absolutely incredible having you. You're welcome back on the show yes, anytime whenever. you're here to join us. And I just want to say once again, everyone, go read yes. these essays. You have to do this for yourself. The blog is called The Spectacle of Excess. Uh, we're it's going actually, to- there are a bunch of people that add to it. It's not just mine. I'm actually going to move some of my stuff over to my Substack. So okay, oh, great. We're relinking it fairly soon. All right, well, let us know when you do that, and we'll throw the link up to that in our show notes. We'll be throwing links up to all Miss' work. Like probably just the entire description of the show will probably just be links to Miss' writing. So yeah, just go ahead and check that out. Myth, is there any other thing that you want to plug while you're here, or is that basically it? My Twitter handle is MythGifs, M-I-T-H-G-I-F-S. Yeah. I do a lot of, I do a lot of gifts. Are you? Often <laughs> of Kevin and Sammy. Sometimes of other people. Did you do the one of the most dangerous high-flying oral sex whenever, like, it's Cesaro and Sammy doing the, like... I did not, but I am delighted by the idea. Okay, because I, I... That one is, like, I tried to fucking find that, and I did. I found it on Tumblr once, and I was like, oh, somebody knew. If you're, like, coming away from this show feeling slightly, like, like Bob said, it's very hard to describe, especially the last match. Go back and myths work is scattered with gifts that show you specific moments in all of these these matches, all of these interactions. One of the most fantastic things about them is you get to actually see it play out. And you get a very clear visual. Longtime listeners of this show will know that this is something that we tried to do and that we did for a while is to have visual companions for every episode. And the last visual companion that we ever put up was the one where I finally figured out how to make gifts. And then Bob or somebody told me that like, I made them wrong and the files were too big. And so they were taking forever to load. And I was just like, I, screw this. I'm never doing it again. Also, I was too busy. We stopped doing the visual companions. The website is still up, but we don't usually plug it anymore because it hasn't been updated in years. <laughs> but, but I might not know how to do gifts, but Myth does. And they are all through their work. And you should, again, all go check it out. Yes. Thank you so much. One more time. So all I want to say is just thank you so much. It was a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Very much the same here. Miles, miles, miles. I'm sorry to have to do this to you, buddy. You are all of us, Miles, a wrestling fan who lacks the courage either to love wrestling or to hate wrestling. And here you are in your little podcast bubble, surrounded in your beloved black and yellow brand, like police tape around your heart, trying in vain to keep out what you know is out there, what you've tried to shelter Bob from, but your time is up. Like a sucker, you got a real job, and now you have to leave this place undefended. In two weeks, I'm taking over, and I'm going to take Megan Bob to the Monday Night Wars. Not the stone-cold Monday Night Wars, 
not the McFoley Monday Night Wars, not the Commissioner Regal Monday Night Wars, the Prince Iakea Monday Night Wars, the NWO theme song on a loop forever Monday Night Wars. I'm taking Megan Bob to Nitro, Miles. I'm so sorry. I, I hope you've trained them well. I hope that you feel you've done everything you could do because they're going to need every lesson you've taught them. And I don't know if it's going to be enough. They're going to be Nitro Girls, Miles. They're going to teach Megan Bob a lesson about the history of women's wrestling that no essay, broken into however unbelievably many parts, ever could. I'm sorry to say, Miles, that you may not have a podcast to come back to when I'm done, but if there is a bright side, it's this. If Megan Bob makes it through Nitro, if they make it through the Monday Night Wars like I did, like you did, they may not be better for it. They may not love wrestling more for it. Quite the contrary. But if they are here when you come back, and if they are willing to continue this journey with you, they will not just be the next wrestling fan, but a wrestling fan for life. You can't see me, but I'm doing the thing with my hand. For life, my Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. This amazing episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, thank you so much for joining me, and thank you so much to Myth. Oh, Lord. Myth. Myth. Thank you is such a small word. I don't know. Eternal gratitude. I don't I don't know. What to- <laughs> yeah. My thanks unto you is evergreen. It is really amazing that Myth joined us for this episode, and we loved having them here so much. I want to say that the episode was everything that I wanted it to be, but uh, that's not entirely true. (laughs) Only because, like, I definitely screwed some shit up. (laughs) So, like, if you were a long-time, like, PWG fan, if you're any of those listening to this, and you were listening to, like, me breaking down the Sammy and Kevin story earlier in this episode, like, you were probably yelling at me because I got some shit wrong, especially on the PWG end, which normally I wouldn't be, like, that upset about because I didn't, I wasn't a PWG viewer, really, so I, whatever, I'm gonna get stuff wrong, but, Bob, I do need you to know that, contrary to what I said in the episode itself, Mm -hmm. Kevin Steen and El Generico actually did reconcile in PWG just before El Generico went back to the orphans. And uh, Sami Zayn mysteriously appeared in NXT. So there was an actual, a really beautiful reconciliation storyline between the two of them. And again, I just want to tell everybody, like, please do yourself a favor and go read Myth's essays on the history between these two. Because not only are they incredibly informative and will they give you a much better picture of the history of Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens than I was able to do, but they're also just extraordinarily written. Just extraordinarily written. They're beautiful. If you like the written word and you like wrestling, or even if you just like the written word and frankly like romance. Yeah. Because it's a a love story. It really is in, in so many ways. You know, I've been corresponding with Myth a little bit since we recorded the episode. Not to brag or anything, but I definitely have been. Miles is totally bragging everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Myth and I have definitely agree on the fact that it is absolutely insane 
that none of the three of us gave Sami Zayn the Lawrence Bolivier Award. You know? <laughs> like, the fact that Sami didn't get a Lawrence Bolivier Award for this episode is batshit crazy, and so we would just like to apologize, and, if, and like, we're giving him one. He's got okay. one. Okay. He's got a Lifetime Achievement one. And also shout out in that regard as well to the Full Sail crowd, oh, which yeah. also really made that episode work, made that takeover work. Myth and I were also very much hoping that by the time this episode was released, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens would have been reunited on current WWE programming. That's not quite the case. It looks like they're significantly slow burning that assuming it's happening down the road which i think myth and i both think it, it will i mean you can't stop it i think is you truly can't stop what, it. what the lesson of history is it could happen in the next 12 months it could happen in the next 12 years but love finds a way and we can't be too picky because like since vince mcmahon resigned in disgrace and since <laughs> Triple H, Paul Levesque, rose up to the position of chief content officer and took over WWE Creative, Kevin Owens has been presented like a killer, a top-shelf wrestler. His presentation has been amazing. His promos have been amazing. His matches have been amazing. And Sami Zayn, Sami Zayn, is the focal point of the best storyline in wrestling right now. <gasps> Just by far, far and away the best storyline going on in wrestling right now with Sammy and the Bloodline. I can't praise it enough. It's incredible work by everybody, but especially by Sammy. Are you telling me I have to go start watching Raw or SmackDown? I don't know which. Uh, it's on SmackDown primarily, okay. although he has been making some Raw appearances recently. On an episode of Raw, it was when Kevin actually confronted Sammy about his like attempted membership in the Bloodline. And they did a thing where Owens had a match with Jay Uso, who's a member of the Bloodline, mm -hmm. and his brother Jimmy was there too. And at one point, they wanted Sammy to hit Kevin with a chair while like the ref's back was turned, and Sammy wouldn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't rebelling. He just like he hesitated too long, and it, and the moment passed. Mm. But yeah, in terms of what Sammy's doing on SmackDown, Bob, I honestly like even just go to YouTube. Okay. Just go to YouTube. If you go to YouTube and watch the clip from the most recent episode of SmackDown as we record this outro, where with Sammy and the rest of the bloodline and the t-shirt thing, like, it's just, it's absolutely incredible work by everyone. I love it so much. I know Myth loves it. I remain fervent that we are going to get some more Sammy Kevin stuff uh, in the relatively near future. But even if we don't, it's so nice to see these two wrestlers finally presented in a way where they actually matter and where their talents, which are significant, can be used to their fullest. So really just a great time to be a Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens fan in wrestling currently. That is nice. I am happy to hear that. It's also a great time to go over to Patreon and become a patron of this show because you are about to receive a bounty. You are about to receive a chunk of good, good content because I've been busy in the podcasting minds. I have been busy cooking up shenanigans with Chris Newton and with Hub. So there is going to be 
some fresh, fresh stuff on that feed. Chris and I are covering an entire ass episode of Nitro, which I have thoughts about, certainly. And the 90s <laughs> in general, which so I remember things about the 90s. I, they didn't look like that, but yeah. That is going to be broken down into three episodes because it's three hours of fucking content. There's three yes. fucking hours of Nitro. Yes. <laughs> and then Hub and I are returning with the revenge of WWE crossover media. So we are doing the Flintstones WWE film is a strong word. It's 44 minutes, but whatever that is. <laughs> And then the Jetsons one, which is an hour 22. I've watched the Flintstones one. I have yet to record it with Hub. Hub and I have very different viewpoints on it. I want to be won over. I want to feel good things about what I experienced. I am going to try and find a way there. Don't worry. This isn't going to be Flintstones bashing. This is a journey that I'm going to go on to find what is beautiful about this. Because I think it's there. I don't know about the Flintstones one. But anyway, that's going to be there. <laughs> and then there's another thing that is a hanging... It's just a question mark. Yeah. I'm not going to say what it could be or could it be because I am afraid to even say what it could be because I, I don't know that I'm ready to invoke that curse right. on the world, but we'll see. But yeah, there's going to be a bunch of stuff. We have the cart a little bit before the horse here, Bob. So the reason that we're going to be providing you with all this bonus content is because as of now, as of the end of this episode, uh, the next wrestling fan is going on a three month hiatus mm -hmm. from our regular show. I am just ridiculously busy and I really need some time to catch up on some projects. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob, as we've noted, is dealing with some shit of their own. Could use a little bit of a break as well. <laughs> To make different podcasts, but you know, I, <laughs> that's been on, that's just eating frosting from the can kind of podcast. Well, and you've so. recorded a lot of this content already. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. This is true. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> what we're trying to say here, y'all, is that we're, the regular show is going to be going away for a few months. We're going to be back on January 7th, a little bit earlier than that for our Patreon supporters, but we will be back with a new episode, episode 83 on January 7th. And in the time between... On your podcast feeds, you will be getting Bob and Chris talking about Nitro, Bob and Hub talking about the Flintstones crossover, and possibly something else. Possibly a mystery box. <laughs> Oof. Oh, so, a, yeah. Something. As always, we really appreciate y'all's understanding in terms of our schedules and how we do things. And Bob and I are both people who usually need some help in prioritizing our mental health to a certain degree. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. That's fair. So it's good that we're doing this kind of a gift to ourselves and one another as we kind of just take a little bit of a break. And when we do come back, again, January 7th is the date for that. When we do come back, the show is going to look a little bit different. Yeah. Now, we're not going to go into the details of that right now, but suffice it to say, Bob and I felt the need to reorganize and rearrange some stuff segments-wise just to account for the fact that Bob is no longer a wrestling newbie. I know. You're now a hardened, experienced veteran of the Canvas Wars, as William Regal would say. <laughs> Many pieces about the show are going to remain the same. A lot of stuff is staying the same. We're just switching some things up a little bit just to reflect the fact that Bob doesn't need everything explained to them as much anymore. I know. 
yeah. We're going to basically do it to focus on our strengths and to give the show kind of a fresher feeling. But I think that it's going to allow each of us to shine in the ways that we shine the most. Absolutely. I want to thank everybody once again for supporting us this whole time. Heck I'm yeah. so happy we got to take over our evolution. Uh, it was the place, again, as I said in the episode, it was the place that I wanted to get to when we started this podcast. I'm so glad that we're here. Really appreciate your understanding about taking some time off. You're going to really love the the stuff coming out on the feed while we're, while we're off, though. Oh, boy. Yeah, you so, are. It's going to be freaking it's great. It's going to be fantastic. Anybody who chooses to drop or remove their Patreon pledge while we're gone, obviously no hard feelings there. Oh, yeah, no. But if you are a patron, as you may know, you get a wrestling character. In the next Wrestling Fan Federation. If you are a patron at a certain level, you get to win the championship. Mm-hmm. And Bob, before we go on hiatus... <gasps> Whoa! I have to let you know about the fact that there is a new champion. Oh my goodness. Now, you may recall, last time we took a look at the next Wrestling Fan Federation, there was no next wrestling fan federation champion after a number of time travel related shenanigans which you can go back and look up the championship was won once again by harry bumblespike of bumblespike hall however they left the title in the ring they opted to not be champion because they didn't think they were for various reasons but basically after their recent brush with uh, with corruption and healed them they did not think that holding the title once again was a thing that they should be doing That is so beautiful. So the title was vacated. There was a massive tournament to crown a new champion involving everybody in the promotion. And it came down to the finals, Bob. Mm -hmm. I wish I had had the time to really flesh out this entire storyline. But I don't know if you remember, a while back we talked about the fact that Dylan Dalbridge Mm -hmm. was getting some some advice from Kevin Van Hoos. Yes. The rules lawyer. (laughs) And the drop air did not think that Kevin Van Hoos had Dylan Dalbridge's best interest in mind. Uh, and there was kind of some drama going on about that. We haven't revisited that in a while, but we're going to revisit it kind of briefly in this tournament because the finals came down to, in fact, the rules lawyer, Kevin Van Hoos, and Dylan Dalbridge. Oh, shit. There's been no split yet. There's been no uh, change in allegiances quite yet or anything. Mm-hmm. But Dylan Dalbridge has started to get a little bit wary of Van Hoos's uh, sort of general demeanor and and mindset here, Dylan Dalbridge decided to enlist the services of one Professor X. Oh, ooh. Uh, AKA the manager for hire who had previously worked with Van Hoos and Dylan Dalbridge thought that having Professor X alongside the, the draw bear out there with them could potentially be a good idea because, you know, Dylan Dalbridge wins the championship. A lot of that inheritance gets released to him, right? Yum, yum, yum. Unfortunately, Dylan Dalbridge and possibly some other person, bureaucracies you never know, there was some fudged uh, paperwork. There was a paperwork error, Bob. Mm. One of the worst kinds of error. <laughs> Indeed. As a result of this, this mistaken paperwork... Professor X ended up getting entered into this match, not in a managerial capacity, but in a wrestling capacity. Oh my goodness. Which is something he has no interest in doing, but like, you know, the paperwork got screwed up. What are you going to do? Oh. So the match became a triple threat, a (gasps) three-way elimination match for the championship. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, and Professor X, you know, he figured that's fine. 
the other two can fight each other. He doesn't yeah. have to get involved. Yeah, exactly. He can like spend some time hiding in the audience or like going over to the announce desk to do commentary for a little while, right? Get some fucking grading done. Absolutely. Unfortunately, the finish of that match involved an old and somewhat beloved, although I don't know by how many people, wrestling trope. Basically what happened was Dalbridge had Van Hoos in a submission hold. Uh-huh. And Van Hoos was trying to get out of it and ended up maneuvering so that Dalbridge's shoulders were on the mat. Yeah. But he was still in the hold. And at the exact same time that the referee counted three for Van Hoos, Van Hoos tapped out to the submission hold. <gasps> and when oh. it was determined that it happened at the same time, they were both eliminated. <laughs> Which means... That much to his horror. Oh, no. Yeah, Professor X became the next Wrestling Fan Federation champion. Aww. But wrestling's gonna interfere with all of his commutes to the various community colleges he adjuncts at. This is gonna be a real problem for his schedule. It's true. And he can't get out of it because, unfortunately, written into the contract, because they didn't want another situation like Harry Bumblespike, written into the contract was a clause that said, the new champion cannot vacate the title. Aww. So he has to be champion. And so now here he is trying to figure out he's got everybody gunning for him. All these like random wrestlers are like trying to hurt him and take the title. He doesn't know what to do. But if he can survive long enough, he might get benefits out of this. <gasps> oh, my God. He you can never get know. wrestling tenure. <laughs> <laughs> that is where we're going to leave the story of the next Wrestling Fan Federation champion going into our hiatus. There'll be more to come on what's been going on with uh, Professor X when we return. Much love to our patron, Brian Clark, who is the reason that Professor X won the title. That's Brian's character. Brian also helped me come up with that story a little bit. He gave some really great input. So thank you so much to Brian. Thank you so much to everybody who's a patron of the show and who continues to be a patron of the show. We really appreciate you and again, appreciate your understanding about everything. And I think that's all we got. You will not be hearing from me at least for the next three months, you will be hearing from Bob and from yeah. some special guests with some amazing content. I can't wait to see what Bob thought of Nitro. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, um, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> it's a rich, you know, buffet of emotions is the Monday Night Wars. We love all of you so much. Thank you so much for being with us on this journey. So if you want to keep getting stuff from us well from me then you need to go over to patreon and subscribe because that's where you're gonna keep getting good good wrestle nonsense every two weeks just like you would regular nxt wrestling fan otherwise on the main feed the main feed is going to go quiet for a while and then we'll return Mm -hmm. like a phoenix reborn from the ashes to go hiya like miss piggy And that's just, gonna, like Ms. Piggy. just like Miss Piggy on January 7th. Thank you all so much. We appreciate you. We will see you in three months with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Yeah! The NXT Wrestling Fan is produced by Lucas Brown with logo design by Claire Mulcarin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for his theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. 
find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook at the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get you access to the full version. <laughs> Release the fuck cut. Yes! <laughs> it's Zane say fuck. It is. Oh my god. I know, this is crucial. Lucas, you're, you, since you're editing this, Release the Fuck Cut is a perfectly fine episode title if you so choose. Oh man. <laughs> Unless you have other ideas, I trust you, you're very creative and smart. But if I was editing this episode, I would say to myself at this point, Future Miles... Please, please name this episode Release the Fuck Cut. Beautiful. <laughs> Myth is dying over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, I right. soda the wrong way when you said that. <laughs> <laughs>